Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Milwaukee Bucks did it. They tied the series up 2-2. Two to two. So it's best of three series, and what a game. Easily, easily the most entertaining game of the series. Most competitive game, closest game. The Suns led for three and a half quarters, and they pulled away multiple times, but they never dropped the hammer. Never really threw, not only a knockout punch, but even a punch that staggered the Bucks. It seemed like the whole second half, the lead was going up to five or to seven, and then right back down to two or three. And <clears throat> the Bucks did it at the, at the end. They dominated the last five and a half minutes. Winning time, as Magic Johnson called it, 19 to eight to close the game. And the Bucks were down 95-90, and uh, they come back and win the thing. So multiple things stand out in this game. I mean, if it's just one play, it's the Giannis block. That was incredible. He is 100% squared up on Booker as Booker comes around on that pick and roll. And he sees Booker putting the one hand under the ball and realizes it's going to be a lob. And he just turns and jumps. And I guess he followed the fly to the path to know where he's going. And he said he thought he was going to get dunked on. But he just turned and he jumped so quick and so high. And he meets Aiton like 12 feet in the air at the top of the box. It was ridiculous. It's like a video game. Nobody does that, except he did. And he did it with a game on the line. The Bucks had taken the lead at that point. They were up two. It was a huge block. Huge play. And then uh, the Bucks grabbed the ball and went and ran. The transition points went to the Bucks. Um, the offensive rebound, the total rebounds, the turnovers, all of that favored the Bucks, and that just means more possessions. But the points off turnovers, I don't know what the final number was. It was at least 20. It may have been more. And that's just too much to overcome. Just too much to overcome. Uh, so a sensational play. It started a break. I thought the breaks were the difference in the game. Now, two guys had awesome games. They just kind of cancel each other out. Um, Booker, Wow. Wow. But Middleton matches them. They both have 40-point games, only the fourth time that's happened in the NBA Finals. And all the other people who did it are legends. Legends. I didn't have any idea about this, but then, you know, after the game, everybody's recapping it. It's West versus Havlicek in a Celtic-Lakers series in 1969, Game 2. And then it's Barkley and Jordan in Game 2 in 93. And then it's Iverson and Shaq in Game 1 in 2001. So, in the history of basketball, those are some fairly gigantic names. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good collection of names right there. And Booker and Middleton don't have that status. Booker may get it. I don't know that Middleton will. On the other hand, Middleton has a couple more 40-point games down the stretch. PK and I have talked about this. Is the, is the Middleton game coming, and if so, when? And if you look at what he does... He starts slow in series, and he gets better as he get, goes along. And that's what the Bucks have done in this postseason. For all the talk about Budenholzer not making adjustments. So in games five, six, and seven in the previous series, and they're four and one. <laughs> so they get deep in the series. They make adjustments. And Middleton's games don't – he doesn't have his big games, games one and two. got to get deeper into the series. And he got better every quarter. Well, he scored more points every quarter. How about that? 7, 9, 10, 14. Just, just kept getting hotter. And he made big shots down the stretch in the fourth quarter. I know the big talking point is about the Suns and, you know, Booker not fouling out. And he committed his sixth foul at least twice. 
And the refs admitted after the game they missed one. Their pool reporter went in, and, and they saw the block. They thought the block was clean, but live they missed the wrap-up and takedown. I don't know how, but they did. You know, the, the, I think it was the left hand went up to – yeah, the left hand went up to block the shot, but the right hand's wrapped around the waist and is tugging him down. So, whatever. They, it happens. Calls get missed, and everybody wants to see conspiracy theories into it. But if you think about it, there was no reason to cheat and help the Suns. They just missed calls. Booker should have fouled out. And it doesn't matter because the Bucks won the game. It also doesn't matter because it wasn't getting changed. And if you're the NBA, the money is in having a longer series, letting teams sell more tickets, letting networks sell more ads. There's no sense in putting the Suns up 3-1. to one. So I just can't see a conspiracy theory every time I see missed calls. Calls get missed. The NBA had all the incentive in the world to get the call right, but calls get missed. Go out and referee a basketball game. Let me, tell me how hard it is. Uh, I did it at a really low level when I was in high school, and I quickly lost interest in doing that. One of my good friends in college, uh, we played intramural basketball together, and he lived in the dorm hall, and we ended up rooming together later. He loved referee games. I didn't understand it. Why would you want to do that? And he'd come back from a night of refereeing games, and he made a little bit of money. I think he made like 10 bucks a game or something, and uh, or 20 and I, I don't remember what it was. It was nominal. It was nice to have some walking around money, but it was nothing huge. And uh, and he'd just be recounting people who got mad at him. <laughs> he dished out. He thought it was hilarious. I'm like, why would you put yourself through that, man? Get on another team and play some more basketball. Ref it? Holy cow. So now we got a long break. Uh, Chris Paul was not good, and I know some people thought he looked tired. Other people thought he just struggled. He had some key turnovers, although he was not the only guy who turned it over. Uh, but it, it's been three days since the last game. It's three till the next one. Usually that helps older players. And it should help the Suns role players being home because nobody really went with Booker. You know, Middleton had his 40, and then Giannis had 26 and 13 boards and eight assists. Uh, and made some slick passes, set Connaughton up for a corner three with an no-look pass. People are like, ah, I didn't want to shoot because you want to get fouled. Well, that's actually a rational decision. You know, Giannis going one for two or even two for two or Connaughton wide open for a corner three. Yeah, they got the corner three. So, good game, and it makes the series that much more interesting. So, we got at least two more games. Maybe we'll have all three. It's been a home team all the way so far. When does a road team break through, or is it the rare series where one doesn't? Does Chris Paul bounce back? Can Booker have another big game? Did the Suns miss their chance? Because that was Giannis's off game because you can't score 40 every night, and he didn't, and they won anyway. Think about it. There have been two – no, excuse me, four 40-point games in this series, and the team with the guy who's gone for 40 points has gone 2-2. Two and two. And they had to split this one because there's a guy on each team. So it's something. I mean, you want it, but it's not everything. You know, other stuff matters too. Can the Suns force more turnovers? Can they cut theirs down a little bit? Um, I think of 12 to 14 as kind of the normal range. And I think 17 to 5, I just, yeah, they didn't force enough turnovers. They didn't create opportunities to go run and get easy buckets and quiet the crowd on the road and all that stuff. Man, the Bucks went and got themselves some easy buckets. It seemed like Giannis was on uh, one-on-none breaks way too often. All right, we'll have more on the game coming up, more on the series coming up. 
Uh, also, uh, later this morning, Joe Ingalls is going to join us. So stay tuned for that. We'll have details on that coming up. Australia has beaten the U.S. team in a, in a preliminary, just kind of warm-up warm tune-up exhibition game. And they're going to play again Friday. So uh, we'll talk with Joe later in the show. DJ and PK, more in a moment. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The British Open. Ugh, they play golf around the clock. It's already underway. But yesterday, before things got underway, Bob Casper came on to preview the tournament, the course, and to do our draft. Three rounds, three players each. No Tony Finau. He's off limits. Here is Bob Casper with PK and I on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Bob, good morning. Hi, guys. How you doing? Good. You go to a lot of major championships, and I get in the pandemic, that's all kind of slowed down and all that. But over time, you've been to a lot of them. But the British Open, that's the one, I, I think you've only been to it a couple times that I know of. How many trips have you made to the Open? Um, just a couple. Brian and I, the last time we broadcasted from there and were there live was in 2005 when Tiger Woods won. And, uh, and we got to play the golf course the day after from the championship tees. So that was pretty cool. But we don't travel across the pond very often, um, but, you know, it's great to get up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and watch it on television and watch it all day long. So in terms of <laughs> hallowed ground, how does it compare to some of the other places? Obviously, Augusta would be on the top of the list, but some of the other places that you've been in the world for golf. You know, the road is kind of interesting because, you know, they're playing at Royal St. George's this week. It's not a it's not a, a course that most of the guys like to play. Um, it's uh, as they say quirky. Um, but you know when we went in 2005, it was the home of golf. It was uh, St Andrews, and um, it was right up there with any golf course I've ever played. Um, and I think just from the tradition and the nostalgia and the home of golf. So uh, some of the quirks, I've actually heard players complaining. There's too many blind tee shots, and yeah. just even if you had a good shot, you still end up with some funky lie. The ball's above your feet. It's below your feet, whatever. It's, uh, is that the main complaint? Yeah, it, you know, the hitting it down the middle of the fairway, you could have two guys that hit it a foot apart from each other. One guy uh, ends up really, really good, and the other guy – bounces weird and goes into the rough or will go into the, um, you know, a pot bunker or something like that. So um, it's, it's just a weird golf course. It's got lots of bumps and rolls in the fairway. The greens have lots of weird undulation and bumps and rolls on them also. So you have to get, you have to hit good shots, but you have to have some luck to, to win this week at the open championship at Royal St. George's. Do foreign guys, does this mean a little more to them or no? Yeah, you know, uh, anybody who lives outside the United States, the Open Championship does mean a little bit more to them. Um, you know, all the guys in the U.S. want to win the U.S. Open. They want to win the Masters. 
or the PGA Championship because those are all contested in the United States. This is the only one outside of the United States. Well, Bob, we got to do a draft here. And last time we did this, you picked John Rahm with the first pick, and he uh-huh. won the tournament. So everything that came after it was blah, 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 because if you win the tournament, that's it. <laughs> that's everything. Yes, that's correct. Now, that's it. PK says we got to have a winner. So we're going to add up strokes in relation to par, and if your guy misses the cut or withdraws, then you get the worst score for whoever finishes all four yeah. rounds. So that, that's basically yeah. going to get you beat. PK had somebody withdraw, and that, that sunk his ship. So okay. with, with that in mind, there's the ground rules. Uh-huh. John okay. Rahm is the favorite by a wide margin with the odds makers. You're just going to go John Rahm yeah. right out of the gate again? You're the guest. You get the first pick. 100% John Rahm. I knew, wow. I knew you'd do that. Two majors then, back-to-back? You know, there's a few guys that have done that, the U.S. Open and the British Open in the same year. Um, and John Rahm has a new outlook on life, a new lease on life. Um, he's coming off a, a winning a major championship, and I think he's going to play well again this week. How about the pressure on that, though? Because now, I mean, it's not like he wasn't expected to do well, but now he's really expected to do well. Yeah. You know, there's there's a, a little bit to that, but I think he can handle it. He's been able to, you know, only been on tour, what, five or six years, and he's been able to win and get his first major championship. I think he's I think he's okay. I think okay. he's in the in the driver's seat. So, right. so here's the interesting thing. When you look at this specific course, American uh-huh. golfers don't win there very often. Now, John Rahm, we're getting so international here. You know, they're guys who grow up other places, but they go to college in the U.S., and they reside in the U.S., and they play on the U.S. tour. So a uh, guy is or isn't an American. I mean, there's something to play in a course that's different, and the U.S. tour is basically, you know, Parkland golf. So it, this is just is. really different. So we can't go with this strict definition of what is or isn't an American. Rahm played college over here? Where'd he go? Yeah, he played it. Uh, uh, let me see. Some like uh, school like ASU or something like that. I, I, I Just some junior Harvard of the West. And low academics. <laughs> Harvard, Any, Harvard of the anybody West. Anybody this <laughs> chair could get you. into it. <laughs> that's, okay. that's the party school of the West, not the Harvard of the West. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. They, they party at Harvard. Yep. All right. Yep. Uh, because the international guys tend to do well on this course, I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Rory. Give me McElroy. Okay. Okay. You okay with that? Because you'd love to tell me I made a, a bleeped up pick. No, McElroy's, McElroy's <laughs> great. He's struggling with his driver. It'll be interesting to see how he plays this week. Um, you know, he, uh, he's been up and down, and uh, he won, you know, about a month or so ago, a month and a half ago. He'll still um, so, hit. He'll still hit bad drives, but he'll be okay because the yep. guys hitting good drives are going to have bad lies too. So this is going to yeah, bail him great. out. Yep, that's my logic. I'll it'll talk be, myself into it's that. A good pick. Okay. Good pick. Well, my thought okay. is that you know he's gotten himself into playing condition, so he's ready to go, and that would be Brooks Kepka. Okay. What good do you pick. think? You think you buy I that like logic? That. He's ready to go. Well, you know. I think he's feeling his oats too because he was asked a lot, a lot about uh, you know the conflict be- yeah. between him and and Bryson and that kind of thing and uh, and he's just he's very confident. He said when it comes down to it, at the end of the week he's going to be in contention and have an opportunity to win. So he's not worried about it. So he's he's uh, he's kind of boasting a little bit. So that's right. a good pick. Yeah. 
I like it too for what it's worth. I know you don't care what I think, but yeah. if he'd been available <laughs> yeah. in the second round, I'd have taken him. I would have. I considered taking yeah. him in the first round. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, back to you, Bob. Second round out of three. Who you got? Xander Shoffley. Mm. Didn't he just get married, though? I knew, I knew it. He did just get married. And listen. Women weak and putters. Time, <laughs> the, listen, but listen. The last time an American won at Royal St. George's, it was Ben Curtis, and he just got married as well. Okay, okay well, we're going to something there that has it's a connection. Not, it's not often. It's not often that Rocky movies and the British Open can come together in one storyline, but you did it, PK. That's right. So good for you. That's right. <laughs> Rocky, women weekend legs. That's right. K, PK. No, or not PK. No, it's PK. me. It's me. And uh, – I'm a little worried. I'm going to go ahead and pick this guy. I'm a little worried because I feel like he chased it for so long, and he finally, like the, they always talk about the dog can't run after it catches the wooden rabbit. It's like, what am I chasing this thing for? What's the point of this? But I think he's ready to come back now. I'm taking DJ. Okay. He well, won a, he was runner-up last time in 2011 yeah. there at Royal St. George's. So, yeah, good. So before I make this pick, I want your opinion, because it seems like he's been in contention but hasn't been able to close the deal, and that's Gaptooth Oosthuizen. Well, he won the Open Championship at, at uh, St. Andrews. Um, he was right in the mix at uh, the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open, and um, I think Oosthuizen's probably a really good He's uh he's been playing well, and I wouldn't expect him to play any differently this week. Okay, but I'm going to go with Justin Thomas. Are you really? There you go. Yeah. See, I like that. I like that. That's a great pick. Justin Thomas is a great pick. Um, he's a guy that, uh, you know, he came over and he played the Scottish Open last week. Um, right. Had a chance to get, to kind of get in the realm of uh, Lynx golf, so I think he's a great pick. So. All right, your third-round pick. This is your last shot. Uh, for people who don't know, we all just assume this. Tony Finau is off the board. Uh, right. Otherwise, we would all pick him and, and suck up to him. And, we and like Charlie him. Hoffman, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you ready for my third pick? Yeah. I'm going to pick Jordan Spieth. Um, and uh, like, I said, like, like we've talked about before, he won – uh, earlier this year, the week, a uh, couple weeks before, uh, the Masters played well there. Played has played well in in the majors uh, this year. Um, not really um, getting high up there, but Jordan Spieth in the British Open um, since he started playing it, I think in fourteen, uh, he's never finished worse than thirtieth, and um, he loves links golf. He kind of uh, really takes to it. So I'm going to take Jordan Spieth this week. All right. Uh, I'll go ahead and take Louie then. I thought PK oh, was really going to take him. I wanted him. But I figured he wouldn't go. So Why? I'd, I thought he'd be sitting there in this third round, so I would take Thomas, who was a higher, better pick, and then I would just take yeah. Louie in the third round. Yeah. Sucks to yeah. be you. I'm oh, taking Louie. You, you weren't going to take him I until absolutely I broke. Bull crap. Oh, my goodness. Bull crap. Damn, cat fight. <laughs> yeah, we're like DeChambeau and Kepka here. <laughs> There's no way. You didn't even know he had a gap between his teeth. I don't care either. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so DJ oh, took Louie. Well, now I got to go back and redo it, man. <laughs> you I, just got to pick your next pick. I, well, no, but I was going. Guys. I thought Louie was going. And he would still be available. I'd take him in How the third you guys, round. Okay, here's a couple people you like. You like Patrick Reed because he's cantankerous like you are. You like Patrick Cantlay. You've picked him multiple times. Could this be? I mean, there's some guys who are out there. Yeah, I know. I, well, yeah, there's plenty of guys who can, are out there. Yeah, yeah. but who are realistic. There's but still... i got to pick one foreigner. So that was another reason for the who stays. And I went with two Americans, but I've, I've got to go I've with a foreigner. With, I've gone with two foreigners. you got to go with a foreigner? Yeah. He I mean, it's over did. there. Yeah, it's, 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 and on this course, the, the U.S. guys don't win that often on this course. Probably going PK, back to what you guy, said. PK, there's a guy that's ranked number one in front of Rory McIlroy. Or he's one spot in front of Rory McIlroy, and that's Terrell Hatton. He's played some good golf this year, so he might be a guy that you want on that you want to think about. Well, I've gone the last couple of rounds of picking Hovland, so I'll shoot myself or be mad if okay. I, if he if he were to win and I didn't pick him. But you know, I've also got sentimental favorites like Paul Casey, Lee Westwood just uh, got married. Who did he marry? What's her name? They're his caddy. What's her name? Brenda? No, I don't know. Oh. I don't know. It could be Brenda. Yeah, and you know, and you got those guys, Sergio, everybody loves. Uh, and Harris English, I mean, the big win. <laughs> and then, of course, you got yeah, Abraham Anson. I know, I know he's not. So I, I, how about Justin Rose? I mean, how about that? So. So yeah, what are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He hasn't said we got to go to break yet, so I'm just dragging <laughs> <doesn't>. it out. <laughs> <laughs> we got. I got one more thing to talk to Bob about. Bob and I have to discuss this and feel, and feel good about it. All so. right, go ahead. And then I'll. And you pick. keep thinking. Yeah, yeah Bob. Yeah. How about a shout out for Daniel Camarena, the Padre reliever who got his first hit in the majors, a grand slam off Max Scherzer with the family and friends there. He is not just a. He's a San Diego kid. B.S. He's from Bonita. He's from the same yeah, side. I don't is. know if he's from Bonita Downs or Bonita Woods. You know all the neighborhoods and all the developments he, down there. He may have, he may have gone to L.B. Allen. I don't That's know. Exactly That's exactly what I was thinking. Look it up. I couldn't. Yeah. I tried. I couldn't find it. Oh, you couldn't? <laughs> I couldn't. Sunny, I looked. When I saw he's from Bonita, one, I was like, you know? well, yeah, where'd he go? Oh, that's interesting. I know. That stuff's yep. out there. Yep. All right. Is it my turn? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's. You need my pick right now? You ready? Uh, is it? Yeah. It's either now or never. Do I got like this time? Or, if, or we could talk Go. more about Bob's hometown, Benita, California. No, I want to talk about Mapleton. Yeah. Benita is Spanish Go. for beautiful. Go. Uh, duh. <laughs> well, I know you know, but not everybody's. <laughs> Come on, PK, tell us. So is Hermosa. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go with Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood. That's a good pick. I I, I got to go with one in... foreign dude. Yeah. Right? He's yeah. Oh, I think you do. I think that's good logic. So, all right, there it is. Bob takes John Rahm out of the gate. He takes the favorite, and that would be quite the story. The British Open, U.S. Open double. We'll see if you get it, Bob. Yep. All right. Yep. You can go look okay, up Daniel guys. Camarena and find out uh, if he went to L.B. Allen Elementary, just like I you. I will. All right. I will. I will. He probably. He probably. He probably went to Valley View. <clears throat> he might have been. Yeah. There's. Golf's Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper, and you can hear him and Brian every Saturday morning, 6 to 9 a.m., right here on the Zone Sports Network. When we come back, B.J. Rains, 
Covers the Boise State Broncos, and we get the lowdown on their season with the coaching change. They're going to play both the Aggies and the Cougars. We'll get his thoughts on where the program is headed next. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. One of your go-to phrases, which you alluded to this morning, PK. Party on? No. <laughs> you did not. <laughs> One of your go-to phrases, which you alluded to, is you never know what's going to happen with a coaching change. You get a new hire, they're going to be great. They're going to be awful. They're going to be, you know, okay. And you don't know... People who are supposed to be great or awful. People who are supposed to be awful or great. It's all over the map. And now Boise State, though, it isn't all over the map. They keep changing coaches, and they don't seem to miss. And uh, everybody a misses. Bit, but the last two uh, coaches, their first years, went to New Year's Day Bowls, Chris Peterson and Harson. And time, time to talk Bronco football. With B.J. Rains, beat writer for the Idaho Press-Tribune, he joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. B.J., good morning. Hey, what's going on, guys? Well, we're counting it down to college football here because the Jazz are out of the playoffs. So we're on to the next big thing that captures... Everybody's imagination, and a thing that uh, stuns everybody here is Boise State changes coaches, and Dirk Cutter wins, and Dan Hawkins comes in and wins, and Chris Peterson comes in, and Brian Harson comes in, and they all come in and win. Different levels, but all at pretty high levels. So can you actually hit on five coaching hires in a row? At most schools, Alabama, USC, Notre Dame, the answer is no. At the biggest schools in college football, the answer is no. But the Broncos have hit on four in a row. Why do you think they've hit on five in a row, or why do you think they finally missed, or is it too early to know anything and you can't help us? Well, I think uh, – well, I hope I can help. Uh, you know, Andy uh, is the guy that – Andy Avalos is the guy that was the defensive coordinator here, was also a player here. And the common theme in a lot of these hires – going all the way back to, to Dirk Cutter, is that they had you know previous ties, whether it be as a player or as an offensive assistant, um, you know, to, to Boise State. So the last you know couple of coaches has not just been some random person that doesn't know the system and the culture. And I know every school says you know that they have a culture and they have a way of doing things and the, you know the, their way, but uh, really Boise State does kind of have the, the Bronco way, so to speak, where they just you know it's just a special place and a special culture and. And uh, it takes this unique person to kind of understand this town and this community and this program and, and kind of what this program is all about in terms of the chip on their shoulder and um, where the, they came from rising up, uh, you know, from Division One AA and not, not uh, forgetting that. So I think Andy Avalos was 
the uh, obvious hire all along and, and ended up being the, the hire. Um, it took a little longer because they you know, were hiring a new athletic director at the same time, so it took a little longer than, than many thought. But Avalos is a former player, a former defensive coordinator, you know, just two years ago here. He's only at Oregon for two years. So he's very familiar with the roster, very familiar with the players. And uh, it is crazy, though. You know, I was listening to you before I came on. You, you mentioned the last two coaches, Peterson and Arson, going to New Year's Six Bowls. They, they won them, too. So uh, to, to have, you know, two straight coaches in their first year win a, a New Year's Six BCS Bowl game, uh, Fiesta Bowl, both times is pretty impressive. And um, I think people here in town have, you know, high expectations for Andy Avalos to come in and produce right away as well. So 16 starters returning, I believe, four on the offensive line. Whoever the quarterback is has experience. A running back has experience. Receiving core, uh, Khalil Shakur, uh, 52 catches, really good. Uh, Defense should be okay as far as that goes. I like the special teams. What is the strength of this team? I think it's uh, probably, you know, veteran leadership, I would say. I mean, they, they took advantage of that super senior rule and brought back eight super seniors, and all of the eight are guys that are just, you know, solid, um, you know, college, you know, just multi-year starter guys that maybe weren't quite good enough to have, you know, big NFL careers or they would have left, but they're like really, really good college players. They kind of remind me of like the Tyler Hansbrough of college basketball, where it's just an am- great college player, didn't amount to much in the pros. And so I think a lot of these guys, whether it's a Riley Wimpy at linebacker or a K. Call Camillo at nickel or a C.T. Thomas at wide receiver, you're talking about, you know, legit multi-year starters, these guys that decided to come back and, and have one more go at this. And so, um, it, you know, they, they didn't just hand out these extra scholarships to, to anybody. And so they all have a, a role and, a, and pretty much a starting spot. Uh, you know, there's a couple offensive linemen in that mix. So I think that they are really going to benefit from, having some of these guys back that they didn't think they would have. And so, and the other thing obviously is, you know, I mentioned experience is, is experience and leadership on offense. When you're talking about a, uh, you know, all American candidate in Shakir. And I mentioned Thomas, I mean, that's two, you know, maybe the best one, two wide receiver tandem in the, in the league. And Shakir's a guy that's going to get drafted next year. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned the quarterbacks, you've got Sears and Bachmeyer. You have a thousand yard rusher coming back uh, who was hurt most of last year, which really hurt the running game. Um, you know, and, and they've added some transfers too. Added an Oregon transfer at running back and a couple transfers on defense. And so, um, yeah, I think that they're pretty excited about the new offense from, from Tim Plow coming in from UC Davis, kind of a uh, high octane, uh, up tempo uh, spread, you know, no substitution, go, go, go offense. And so I think they're kind of excited for that. And I think there's just a lot of guys with chips on their shoulder. And I think the new coaching, you know, change came at a perfect time for this team to kind of light a fire under them. Broncos have only lost, I think it's, you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but I think it's nine home games in 22 years, but BYU went up there and blew them out. So is that the game that is circled this year? Is there is there payback? Is that a big deal? Or does that get lost a little bit with a coaching change? I mean, I think that's a game that's always circled. That, that game is always a big game for them uh, every year, and I think that's always a, a key game that they look at on the schedule. I think Boise State, um, you know, BYU fans don't want to hear it. Um, but, you know, Boise State, I think, uh, you know, points to some, you know, circumstances in that game. When you, when you look at, uh, you know, both your main two quarterbacks going out and having to play a true freshman for, you know, the majority of that game. And, um, you know, Jack Sears had just had an incredible game the week before against BYU. You're already without Hank Byer against uh, Air Force. You're already without Hank Bachmeyer. I think the Boise State fans would have liked to have seen what would have happened if, if Jack Sears would have played a full game. 
Um, not to say they win, but I think it you know is a more competitive game than it ended up being. And so I think sure there's some Boise State fans that, that want to you know get some payback because they don't think that they were at full strength. They're without some other guys as well. Didn't have their thousand yard running back in that game. Um, so the offense just was a shell of what it you know originally was. And and, and so yeah, I think that is a game that they're looking at. Um, but it's obviously going to be a different BYU team, and they know that. But um, you know for them it starts with Central Florida in the opener. That that's you know they've made their mark over the years of winning the opener, the big-time opener on national TV, winning that and kind of using that momentum to ride the rest of the season. And they're kind of back to that this year where it may not be a Power 5, but to, to be on the road at Central Florida in the uh, Thursday night you know, season kickoff ESPN game, I think is a big deal for them. If they can find a way to win that one, I think sure. But you know, I, I had to pick the three hardest games this year for the thing we were doing, and I had BY, at BYU in the top three when they're playing Central Florida and Oklahoma State and – Nevada, who's supposed to be good this year, and a lot of people kind of scoffed at me, and, and, and you know, that's not the same BYU team this year, but I think that obviously, you know, every time they play, you kind of throw the records out the window, and it always seems to be a competitive game. Weird stuff always seems to happen, especially down there in Provo, so um, yeah, I do think they're looking forward to that, because don't forget, two years ago, I believe it was, when they played at BYU, was another weird game where they uh, only lost, it was their only regular season loss, they only lost by three points, and they were again with their backup quarterback, so they haven't had they haven't had it been at full strength against BYU in a couple of years now, and I think they're looking forward to that hopefully being the case this year. So I hesitate to cite statistics from last year as being uh, meaningful compared to statistics in regular years because we all, obviously we know why. But nevertheless, they only had two interceptions and they lose both starting cornerbacks. So can I argue the weakness of this team is the pass defense on the back end or is there something else that you would say? No, that's the one position they're looking at. They went out and tried to fortify that. They actually got a transfer, a grad transfer from Utah State. Uh, they, who, you know, two of the coaches came from Utah State, knew him well. They brought in a transfer uh, corner from Bowling Green, um, you know, who has a lot of multi-years experience starting at Bowling Green. They brought in another uh, JUCO corner, so they, they've really tried. That was one of the areas they really looked at was trying to, uh, you know, strengthen that cornerback position through the transfer portal. So, um, yeah, that was an issue. Only three turnovers in total on defense last year. I know sometimes that stuff's cyclical and it's just kind of a fluke sometimes, but three turnovers on defense. I think there are only three teams in the country, um, you know, literally of the 130 teams or 128 that played or whatever it was, only three teams had less turnovers than Boise State did on defense. And so it was a it was a historically bad year on defense for them. So, yeah, I would agree that I would say that, the you know, the pass defense, but also just in general creating turnovers. They didn't have a single fumble recovery last year. Um, you know, they, it was just, a, or maybe it was one, but it was just a bad year. And so um, they've certainly tried to do that. And I think Andy Avalos coming back on, you know, the, as a head coach, he was a defensive coordinator here, and they put a lot of effort into the defensive side of the ball. They brought in Jerron Johnson, a former Boise State uh, you know, defensive back that played for the Seahawks in the NFL for a long time, brought him back in to coach the secondary. And um, so they've tried to, tried to really fortify that because that was, certainly was an issue creating turnovers last year on defense. B.J. Reigns, Boise State B-Rider for the Idaho Press-Tribune joining us. So you mentioned the NFL there, and the Broncos have gotten uh, they've gotten pretty good at turning out NFL guys. How many NFL guys, how many lock NFL guys are on the roster, and how many are, you know, maybe there's a few more fringe guys beyond that? Yeah, that's always kind of been the question, um, you know, with, with this team in terms of what they've had the star power in recent years, and do they have that, you know, moving forward. I think Khalil Shakir, a wide receiver, is – Certainly a guy that uh, would have been a, a mid to late round pick if he had left early last year, but wanted to come back for his senior year. 
Um, and, he, you know, he's a guy that uh, played as a true freshman. He's a guy that will get drafted. People are saying anywhere from the third to fifth round probably. That a left tackle, John Ojuku, is going into his third year starting. And I think it's some weird streak like the last six left tackles that have started at least two years at Boise State have been drafted. So, um, you know, John Ojuku, the left tackle, is probably going to get drafted somewhere in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Um, um, you know, defensively, they have some younger guys, but I don't know if they have anybody that's a lock right now, especially. And so, um, you know, they got a lot of guys with potential. There was a, a stud, they call it the stud position, the edge position, Dimitri Washington, but he got hurt in the second game last year. Maybe their best defensive player missed the BYU game and missed some other games uh, with an ACL injury late in the year. So um, they've probably got, you know, maybe two or three, I would say, that, that but uh, they, they don't have as many locks as maybe they've had in the past. And that's certainly something they're trying to, trying to do is upgrade that talent level and, and upgrade the uh, recruiting rankings and things like that under Avalos. And they've certainly been off to a good start with that. So I love their non-conference schedule this year. Play some big dogs and and then do what you do in the conference, and obviously that's a sign to you as far as that goes. But I thought I read that they canceled a series with Michigan State. What now with a new coaching staff, new athletic director, is the philosophy on scheduling going forward? Well, I think a lot of it had to do, well, there was two reasons. One, the budget. The budget is just in really bad shape at Boise State. They were hit really hard from the pandemic. They you know, like a lot of schools, um, get a lot of their revenue from football, but it's even more so at Boise State. I mean, they fund almost all their Olympic sports programs just from the revenue of the football team. And the, not having fans really, really, really hurt them last year and a lot of the other money they lost. And they lost, you know, um, you know, upwards of half of the athletic department budget last year. They ended up having to, you know, do away with the baseball team and the swimming and diving team uh, and cancel the programs because they just didn't know how they didn't have enough money to fund them moving forward. And so they're in a lot of budget issues. And so the new AD came in and had to make a tough decision to, to balance the books a little bit and put them in a better position and was able to turn a home and home with Michigan State into a uh, over $3 million uh, from Washington for a pair of road games and also got Washington to pay for an FCS school to come in and play a game. So it ends up being like $3.5, $3.6 million net gain for Boise State by making that switch. And the other part of it was, um, you know, just with the new 12-team playoff likely coming, Boise State thought their schedule was, was too hard. I mean, they, they don't need to play three Power 5 teams in a, in, in a single non-conference year um, when if a school like Boise State goes undefeated, regardless of who they play, there's a decent chance that they'll end up in the top 12. So I just, um, you know, their, their kind of philosophy is one Power 5 game kind of at the beginning of the season every year, and then, you know, a solid group of five team, and then you know, BYU, and then potentially, uh, you know, an FCS or a lower-level group of five teams. So they just kind of decided they need to back off a little bit, and that's what worked for them in the past. You know, when they won the – when they got to the first Fiesta Bowl in some of those early years, they would just play that one early-season game and, and ride that the rest of the way. And with the Mountain West getting better, too, you've got Nevada and some of these teams that are, that are improving. Um, they just didn't see a need to, to, to have to play two, three, you know, really hard non-conference games. And, and so the BYU game kind of serves as a, a solid game every year. And with that on the schedule, they figured one power five was enough. And that Michigan State series, they just had one year where they would have been playing like Oregon and Michigan State. And they just didn't see a need to have to do that. So um, they, they're, they're backing off a little bit while also getting some money from the athletic department and trying to position themselves best for what they think is coming with that 12-team playoff. So I assume that uh, Bronco fans are pumped about the idea of a 12-team playoff. They're going to get into that, they believe. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I guess they feel like it gives them a much better chance. They're certainly excited about it. I don't know if they're ready to you know, declare that they're for sure going to get in, but it, it, it certainly opens the door more you know, that, that 
first of all, that the six, you know, champions guarantees basically the spot to the power five, but also, um, you know, and I do think the voting would have been different if it was in place this year when it comes to coastal Carolina and things like that. But, um, you know, it, there's, it just opens the door more for two teams potentially to even be uh, from the group of five to potentially be in the, in the top six conferences. Cause they didn't say power five and one, they just said the top six. So that right there opens up that possibility of two group of five teams. If there's a, a bad, you know, conference champion from one of the other leagues. If there's an upset in the title game or something like that, so that opens the door. And then the six at large spots. I definitely think Boise State feels like they have the brand and the cachet still. Where if they go undefeated, it's going to be hard to keep them out of the top twelve. And so, um, even if it's you know number twelve, I don't think they care at this point. They just want. And that was actually one of the reasons Brian Harson left to go to Auburn. I believe if he had told me multiple times that he did not like, he did not think it, the current system was fair. He said, if you win every game, you should have a chance to continue playing and, and play for a championship. And he didn't think Boise State and the group of five schools had a, a fair shot at that, even if they went undefeated. So I think that um, with a full you know, 13, 14 game season, counting conference championship games, if you can run the table on that and be you know, 13 and 0 or 14 and 0, I think Boise State feels pretty confident that they would be included more times than not in a 12 team playoff. So I think fans are really excited. They go into the season, you know, not this year, but obviously coming up fairly soon um, with a legitimate chance that they feel like they can at least, you know, all they want is a, a seat at the table. They, they've proven that they can hang with those teams. And more times than not, when they play in those big games, they do pretty well. Now, uh, obviously things change when you're playing, you know, in the in number five seed or whatever, and you're the 12 seed in the college football playoff. But they just want a chance. They want a seat at the table. They've proven, they, they feel like they've proven they deserve it. And I do think they're pretty confident that, you know, at some point they'll be able to sneak in there. And that's all they want, a shot to prove themselves. Well, we're looking forward to the start of college football season, and we'll be keeping an eye on the Broncos. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again as uh, as the kickoffs get closer. Yeah, October 9th, I believe it is. Can't wait. Always enjoy coming down to Provo. Should be a, should be another classic game this year. Thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. B.J. Reigns, Boise State B-Rider for the Idaho Press Tribune. That was a deep dive right there, PK. He had a, a lot of info on the coaching change, the roster, the scheduling going forward. I absolutely love that Boise State each time has hired one of their own, and they've had consistent success. So Avalos does not come in wondering, well, what's this about? What's the recipe here? They He's know the already plan. been there. The, the deep, Bronco deep roots. The the fill in the blank nickname way is a cliche, but there are a few places where it's actually true, and Boise State's one of them. And I've been saying this for years. I worry when teams go outside the family. Now, some of them can do that. You can bring in Nick Saban. The big dogs can do whatever they want. There's no question about that, right? You can hire. You can go and bring in a Nick Saban who, I don't know, did he have any connection to Alabama? I'm not sure. Wins big. Lincoln Riley, young kid, relatively Promote him when Stoops retires uh, late in the coaching cycle. Mm-hmm. Well, you're Oklahoma. <laughs> it doesn't really, and I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but your chances of succeeding are really, really good there. You know what I mean? So you can go ahead and do that. Uh, but the rest of them, there's a lot that are in that situation. And so Boise there... Hiring one of their own repeatedly, either promotion or get go getting somebody who was there before. Before uh, Peterson and and uh, Hawkins, I think those guys were promotions, right? 
don't you have to double check that, but I think that's what the case is. Well, Peterson and, definitely was, and even uh, Cutter. Yeah, right. He's an Idaho guy all the way. And then the last two, they went and got somebody, brought them back. They had been there. Harson was at ASU, brought him back. Mm-hmm. Not that ASU, the other ASU. Uh, Blake Anderson State. and ASU. So they bring him back. This coach here, only gone for a couple years, bring him back. So he immediately knows from day one, there's like zero issues there. I love that. That's why I'm really interested to see what Utah State does going forward. They hire two guys, football and basketball, complete outsiders, right? So where does this go? Arkansas and Maryland. I mean, it's way on the other side of the country, obviously. And I was talking to somebody uh, who knows a lot about the Utah State program just the other day, basketball-wise anyway, and reviews, early reviews are favorable. Players love this guy, Odom. Uh, but we'll see. It's going to be really interesting. You know, that that is something different because they struggled. They sucked in football for so long, and then they go get – Gary Anderson wasn't one of their own – Utah State, but clearly Utah, the state of, right? And so he has great success, builds it up. Matt Wells, by and large, he had one down season, but he kept it going. And he played there, and it was on Gary's staff. So now they go in the opposite direction after Gary doesn't work out the second time around. And it's really intriguing to me to see how it goes. I'm not saying that it's going to be a failure. I don't know because I got to take that same attitude on coaching hires that I really don't know. You have to allow that person the time to succeed. But it's going to be different. Whereas Boise State has a formula and they followed it through several coaches because, and I know the Boise people, they love their program and their program's been great. There's no doubt about it. But it's essentially a stepping stone program. I think we've proven that by now, right? You've had five coaches and they've all <laughs> left to go to well, other places. The cool thing places. is that it's a delayed stepping stone program. We've seen successful coaches at Wyoming beat out be out after three years or less, over like seventy five years. Because it's a better situation, right? And so, so they Boise can be State, picky. right? Boise State, if you're getting five to seven, eight years, whatever, out of out of the coaches, and I think the last two have lasted longer than the first two. Uh, Cutter and Hawkins weren't there as long. But Peterson and Harson were there. They were there long enough. If you move on, because there's an argument made that you get stale if you try to stay oh, some like 30 years. I don't know about years. that. Yeah. You know, well, you don't know. 30 there, years, that's argument. an extreme. Okay, Nick Saban 15. isn't stale. Okay, 15. No, you're right. We can find plenty of people who've excelled that long, and we can also find people where, well, the better days were over. And we can just look at multiple local hires here, and... Lavelle, they didn't stay within Lavelle's family, and it, it got tough. Now, with Kalani, they are back, and there's a link there. And Ron McBride had a ton of experience at Utah. He'd been here two separate tours as an assistant coach when he came back as a head coach. Chris Hill did go outside the box to get Urban Meyer, but then right back to the Ute family to get Kyle Whittingham, a guy who'd been on the staff for a decade at that point. And what's gone wrong with basketball well, with Majerus, they went outside. Not that there, there was wasn't a lot. But I know, go. I know. He had no staff. Right. He had no coaching tree. It was very little. Very little coaching tree. It's hard to work for the guy. Call it like it is. Yes. So they're forced to. And here uh, they went outside the family, but they stayed in the state. That's like a Gary Anderson thing. There is no 
I mean, you can look at other programs at kind of the Mountain West level. There is no UNLV family. New Mexico, the most success they ever had was Rocky Long and New Mexico guy. San Diego State's been up and down. They've rarely had a San Diego State person. I mean, you can kind of play this game going around. And you can go around the Pac-12. Yeah, but not but every little... program needs it, though. Right. Oregon doesn't need it. I think Utah is a different state. Utah needs it. But yet Utah State Does didn't ASU do need it. it. Not really. It's so cosmopolitan. Uh, it's just such a different place in that way. Of so, They've gotten so big. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think they do because it doesn't really matter. They've had a pattern, and they can't keep guys home, and that's going to continue to be a pattern. It doesn't. I mean, who who's in the family? I, I don't know that any. They need to. They need to overcome something they can't overcome. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines, including Game Four of the NBA Finals. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and BK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NBA. Shooting the three. I'm gone. Rattles in. Tie game at 52. Shot it over Bridges. Holiday against Payne. Down to Giannis. Wide open. Slam it with the left hand. Mid-range two for the lead. Good! Middleton. 101. 99 bucks. 90 seconds to go in the game. Comes around. Booker driving. Lobbed to Aiden. Knocked away by the Bucks. Giannis did it. Just a hustle play. I thought I'm going to get dunked on. To be honest with you, but going down the stretch, just do whatever you know it takes to win the game. You know, I saw the play coming, saw that uh, Chris Chris Paul was throwing the lob. So now I just I'm just gonna jump vertical, you know, towards the rim. Hopefully, I can you know be there in time. I was there in time and I was able to get a good block and uh, go down, get two points. That's the signature play of Game Four. The Bucks finished the game on a 19 to eight run. They were chasing the Suns all night. And they caught him in the final five minutes, and they went at 109-103 to tie the series at two games apiece. Definitely feels like opportunity lost for the Suns, PK. Oh, no, not at all. You don't think so? No. They had a great chance to go they up 3-1. They should have gotten blown out, and they didn't. No, not at all. They shot 78 field goals, and Milwaukee shot 97. Yes. That's a massive difference. Absolutely. And you barely lost the game. 17 offensive rebounds, only five for the Suns, and you barely lost the game. Uh, five turnovers for the Bucks and 17 turnovers for the Suns, and you barely lost the game? That's where the extra shots came from, the combination of the turnovers and the offensive rebounds. I thought the play of the game was Chris Paul stumbling over himself. A big one. I mean, how many times is that going to happen? That was the signature play for me, so no, I... Sure, every game that you lose is an opportunity lost, but it's not like they're behind the eight ball and just oh my gosh! I mean, no, they're not behind the eight ball. I don't believe that they didn't. They lost a game. Milwaukee lost two games. It was what is an opportunity lost for Milwaukee. And the thing about this, I don't think either of these teams are great. And I say consistently, if you need home court, you're not good enough. 
well, I don't think either of these teams are good enough. So home court <laughs> might, might, might prevail. Matter. Yes. Since there's no dominant club. This might be, exactly. This might be the one time that, and it's been more than one, but, but it's another still example. Outlier. It's a rare thing when there's no road wins. And there yeah. still may be one. There might be, yeah. Uh, so when you look at this, uh, yeah, they blew it. They lost an opportunity, but I don't, I don't That's think That's what I'm saying. But... The Milwaukee lost the opportunities too, so it, it, it's, you you put it in a negative light. I didn't think in the first three games it was just so decisive. I don't think anybody felt like we should have won that and got away. I mean, you can say we should have played better, but when you're losing by double digits, this one the Suns there were just so many times it's like okay here's the spurt they're up by five or seven here they go nope the Bucks reel them right back in. But if you get outshot. By that discrepancy, 97 That's a big deal. to 78, yeah. you'll lose every time. You would think so. So it really wasn't this great opportunity. They should have been blown out. Game 5, Saturday night in Phoenix on ABC. Tip-off set for 7 o'clock. And the other NBA news, the Nuggets assistant, Wes Unsell Jr., Milwaukee Bucks assistant, Darvin Ham, reportedly the two front runners. In the Wizards coaching search. Wes Unsell Jr., Michael Malone Jr., <laughs> uh, who's the other guy? Bickerstaff Jr. Yes. Gosh, yep. man. J.B. Bickerstaff. I just, and my father was a janitor. I'm so pissed at him. Yep. <laughs> Dad, why couldn't you coach in the NBA? <laughs> I could have been door. rich, too. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching a thing before the game. I, I can't watch pregame shows. They just bore me to tears. I was watching the baseball network and they had a little thing on uh, Fernando Tatis. And uh, they told his brother, I think his brother's uh, Elijah, what do you think about this? After he signs the two, the, 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 what, the 13 year deal, was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, oh man, he's rich. <laughs> <laughs> Good observation. <laughs> Good on Wes Unsell Jr. The Wizards' Bradley Beal has entered a health and safety protocols at Team USA camp. USA Basketball announced the players entered the protocols, didn't name him, but Beal, who played 30 minutes in Team USA's win over Argentina Tuesday, expected to have more clarity on his status come later today. There are multiple reports emerging naming Beal as the player who's in the protocols. Joe Ingles, who plays for Australia, and Australia plays the United States Friday, Joe will join us coming up at 9.05 live from Las Vegas. So stay tuned for more on that. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. It's a 2016 black Mercedes. Richard, please stop. Richard, please stop. Please stop. Is that a sedan SUV? It's it's just a black sedan Mercedes SUV. Okay. He's not going to be able to get out the gate. I cut it off. That's a portion of the 911 call that Richard Sherman's wife made. The free agent cornerback is facing several charges, including one on suspicion of burglary domestic violence after he was arrested at his wife's parents' residence in Redmond, Washington. Early yesterday morning, the Redmond Police Department Chief Daryl Lowe said at a news conference Wednesday that Sherman also faces charges of suspicion of resisting arrest and malicious mischief. In addition, Washington State Patrol Captain Ron Mead said at a news conference that his department is also ready to refer Sherman to prosecutors for possible misdemeanor DUI and hit-and-run charges related to a separate incident on Wednesday. 
He had minor lacerations, lower leg and ankle, was treated at a local hospital as a result of contact from a police dog, which was used in his apprehension. This story breaking yesterday, PK, and I had never even heard of the charge of burglary, domestic violence. Okay. Apparently breaking (laughs) into the house in a violent and scary situation. So, Wait to see how that plays out. He's a free agent, so he's in his 30s now. I think he's 33, turning 34. So, see if he's back in the league. He's 33 now. Yeah. And the wife of Steelers quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, faces a domestic violence charge stemming from an assault, alleged assault, involving Haskins that occurred in a Las Vegas hotel room earlier this month. She faces a felony charge of battery and domestic violence, resulting in bodily harm stemming from the alleged altercation on July 3rd at the Cosmopolitan. She's accused of punching Haskins in the mouth and other injuries Haskins reportedly suffered were substantial in nature, including a split upper lip and missing tooth. So, two court cases to follow in the NFL offseason, assuming it gets to court in both those cases. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Construction crews in San Diego celebrated the traditional topping out ceremony at the new Aztec Stadium in the shadow. Of the rubble of Qualcomm Stadium, they host the final steel beam into place top one of the scoreboard frames. they got 14 months now to finish the stadium before the season opener with Arizona. The Utes play them this year, but they're going to play them in Carson, California, in the soccer stadium there where the Chargers played as well. So we'll be there, but that's talking to some Aggie people. It's supposed to be a nice stadium. The Aggies will be down there soon enough to play in that. Nebraska's not a, got a new AD. Trev Alberts, who was at Nebraska-Omaha, is the school's athletic director. Seems like pretty mixed response to that, PK. That guy's a lightning rod wherever he goes. Some people love it. He's been an AD. He's trained for this moment. Or people hate it because he dropped football at Nebraska-Omaha. I wish him the best. Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables once again became the highest-paid assistant football coach in the country. Clemson's Board of Trustees Compensation Committee approved a contract extension that will pay him $2.5 million a year through 2026. Steve Sarkeesian and Kevin Steele made $2.5 million as the highest paid assistants last year. Sark was the offensive coordinator at Bama. Obviously, he's head coach at Texas now. And Auburn. Well, they got a new coaching staff, too. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. His greatest asset is his arm to the Angels. But I never thought he was going to hit 33 home runs in the first half of a season. So he doesn't have enough reps and doesn't have enough time to put into pitching. That's how talented he is. But his arm would be the best arm in the American League if all he did was pitch. I'm confident of that. I stand behind that statement. That's John Smoltz, the former Atlanta Brave star, on Shohei Otani's value to the Angels. The phrase is do it all, PK, and it probably gets overused, but it's fitting with Otani right now. He's not going to win a gold glove. I'm going to do it all. He can do it all. He's not going to win a gold glove. Second half of the Major League Baseball season gets underway tonight. The Red Sox and the Yankees play 5 o'clock tonight. Helping get that thing started. Sweet. Toronto Blue Jays won't find out by this weekend whether they'll get permission from the federal government to play in Canada soon. According to multiple reports, team spokesman said the club continues to work towards playing games at the Rogers Center starting July 30th. This month, huh? 
They're hoping. End of the month. Okay, that'd be cool. Administrative leave for Dodger pitcher Trevor Bauer has been extended for nearly two weeks now. It had been going a week at a time, but now it's two weeks to July 27th. The move pushes Bauer's leave past a scheduled July 23rd hearing for domestic violence restraining order filed by a woman in L.A. County Superior Court. You have said this before, but not everybody hears every segment. You want to Well, they, they hear every word I every say. Every word you say. Every breath I take. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Sting. <laughs> well, what I heard is that he's done with the Dodgers. So we can extend this leave and keep extending it. Was this the second or third extension? Yeah. I think it's the third time it's the second extension. So I think it was one week, one week, and two weeks. So I think we're going on a month now. Yeah. I don't know that he'll play in the big leagues. But But you weren't told that. You were just told about the Dodgers. Right. Right. Salt Lake Bees are in Tacoma opening a series tonight. They got a double header. Starts at 7 o'clock. And you can listen to Steve Klauke on the call right here on the Zone Sports Network. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up at 8 o'clock, Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio, is going to join us to talk about the Open Championship. And you're not getting off the hook here. Why? Because if Usain wins, I'm claiming it. <laughs> there is no way in you hell didn't. you were going to pick him. I was too. You were not. You uh, were not. You, come on, Yock. He I don't gonna, think he was. Yeah. <laughs> I brought it up. Hold on. He's I, a former Open winner who's, oh, hey, I'm picking him. Uh, and he's gap tooth. And actually, he's been playing I, well. I, didn't care I about thought I could get him in the third round. It was actually, So I brought it up. And then he says he's going to take it. It was a pretty savvy call on your part to see if you could steal him in the third round. I thought I would get him. Yeah, I thought so, too. And, and just, it's my benevolence, my kindness, because he's leading right now. He's six under yeah, through 16. Rolling. He is rolling. And I'm my, my, my benevolence, because I always think I'm the smartest guy in the room, so I let the other guys go first. You know. So you can talk trash when you win. That's your big thing. Somebody must have done that to you early in life that scarred you because you always you. go to that. It was you. What have I won? What have my teams won? That'd be approximately nothing. You did it with <laughs> this, with Tiger. You literally said that. <laughs> well, I know I told you Tiger was done, and then the one time he wins, I told you he was going to win. Right. <laughs> Blind squirrel. Come and on. you also said... <laughs> I went last. I let you losers pick. Come on. <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, we should have rotated because there's no way you were going to take it. We can rotate if you want. There's no way. I want you to rotate. Yeah, turn around. There was no way you were going to pick He just birdied 16. He's got the lead by one shot over Jordan Spieth. Is at five under. There's a group of four guys, including Stuart Sink. At four under. Who's won the British before. And there's another big group of golfers at three under. Well, <laughs> you, you win nothing on set on nope. Thursday. but DJ's you, two under. Oosthuizen was my my dark horse, and you just happened to pick my dark horse after I bring it up. Victor Hovland shot a two under 68 to get things rolling. Exposed. Also coming up. I'll give you a half. Brian Taylor at 8 o'clock. Craig Bullerjack at 8.30. And then Joe Ingles at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. 
I never thought Notre Dame would ever play the home game. It owes BYU. Be a reason. They're Notre Dame. They don't really have to. But they why'd just... they sign the contract in the first place? They're supposed to hold up your end of the deal. <laughs> One time I went to Ocean City with a bunch of my friends. A bunch of people were walking by. And we got a change into our beach gear. And so a couple of the guys were holding towels up. All of a sudden, one of them dropped the towel. You're not holding up your end of the deal here. We held up the towel for you. Now Notre Dame is dropping the towel. And there BYU sits naked as can be. Oh, that was a long way to go to get there. It was. I go with that. that was pretty long lame. Way to go. But the point is, Notre Dame <laughs> should live up to that deal. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-2080. That's Davis Vision. All right, time for the question of the morning. Got a couple of them actually for you, and we'll start with the game last night. How glad are you that the series is tied 2-2? And Jada Butter says, I'm enjoying the series. I don't really care who wins, but it has been fun to watch a bunch of players play for their first title. Likes the fresh faces. Gwen says, I'm totally rooting for the Bucks. Chris Paul's not my fave. So it was fun last summer in the bubble to watch Anthony Davis go first to first title? <laughs> I bet it wasn't. He's a Laker. <laughs> no. I don't buy it. The big eye-opener for me is how jealous some Jazz fans are of the Suns. I was surprised about that. Brad, I'm rooting for the Bucks. I can't stand Chris Paul. Chris Paul's done nothing to deserve your hatred. Donna, it should be the Jazz. There it is. But you lost. All female Jazz fans everywhere. If there was truth and justice in the world... Thomas, sorry, just got back from camping. The players are still going. Oh, you knew that. That's why you wanted to get on Facebook and comment on that. I'm not watching. I'm ignoring. Well, when you're telling us that, nobody believes it. (laughs) (laughs) If you ignore something, that's just it. You don't tell us you're ignoring it. By telling us, you're not ignoring it. I don't buy it. Nonsense. Guaranteed six, we might get seven. And we just got the most entertaining game of the series. So I like it. You're glad it's 2-2, aren't you? Me? Yeah. Personally? Yes. More hoops, drama, pressure. I suppose, but... Whether it ended in five or six or seven, there's been no sporting event, and certainly at the pro levels, ever changed my life. Agreed. Uh, if it's on, I'll watch it. If not, I'll find something else to do. <laughs> watch something else. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed watching the game. It was entertaining. Yeah, I just look. At sports to me is entertainment. Nothing more. Nothing less. And and that that had it. So. What I was looking for, I got out of it. If it, but I could find entertainment in a four-zero sweep. Now I get your theory: more games. I understand that, and more pressure, bigger games. 
I mean, you'll watch Game Four at three zero, but at three zero, you're also pretty sure what's going to happen. Yeah, sure, I, I I get that, but I wouldn't say I'm glad. Uh, you know, it's going to end Thursday. Either way, if not sooner, you know, Tuesday or Thursday, we're going to have a conclusion. Uh, for me, uh, I'm looking forward to see what the Jazz do in the off season. That's the number one thing that I care about the most. So I'm I'm really intrigued to see where they go. Uh, and so the way I look at this, since we obsess about the Jazz uh, for obvious reasons, that to me, I want to get to that. So get this thing over so I can get to that, to see where they go on that and start hearing all the rumors and then find out what they're going to do. But in the interim, sure, go seven. More games, more potential for entertainment. See who's clutch. Chris Middleton obviously was big time clutch. You know, every time you, you spoke to it, every time the Jet or the uh, Suns would start to pull away, it seemed like Middleton would make a huge three. Uh, and got to give him credit, man. He played great. So from that perspective, sure, I like it. I expect he's a guy who will come up big. His numbers, uh, he has had his biggest game scoring late in series. And he got good late in the uh, Atlanta at 32 in the closeout game there. And had 38 when they had to beat Brooklyn in game six. I would so I wonder say, if he's got another big game in him in yeah, this series. I think series. he does, because I wouldn't say occasionally. I would say frequently, but I wouldn't say always. Right. So I'd put him on the next level. You know, not the average guy, but not the true superstar. And, and that's a pretty good level mm, to be at, though. Right. And he had he had 23 in the overtime game seven with the Nets. Not off the charts, but solid. Yeah, yeah, he's a fine player. Yeah, no doubt. Second round pick, I think, too. But they needed that 40 out of him, mm-hmm. yeah. and they got it. And they needed a 14-point fourth quarter out of him, and they got it. Yeah. But, you know, let's see what he can do when there's uh, 18,000 yeah. yelling against him and all that stuff. But, yep. yeah, he's a nice player, man. No, no, no doubt about it. I'd like to have him on my team. He can make a shot. You need shot makers in this league, obviously. And he can do it. You know, I'd rather have him shooting the ball from the perimeter than Antetokounmpo. I mean, that, that's <laughs> obvious, right? Absolutely. Well, and the ball goes to his hand. And that's no knock on, the game. on Yanni. Right. Because he has a skill set that is extremely talented, too. But from a perimeter standpoint, I'd rather have Middleton take the shot. He'd be the number one guy, the number one option on that team. If I can't get the ball into the, the great spinner <laughs> when he does his moves, you know, and the next thing you know, he's dunking it. Giannis made some pretty sweet passes in that game last night, too. Fine player, man. No, no doubt about look, it. No look into the corner and got Connaughton in the wide open three. Sure, 18 assists. Or eight, excuse eight, me. Eight, yes, eight, eight. Eight. I was looking at the boards. I have the box score in front of me. 14 boards. Oh, yeah, 26, 14, 8, three steals, two blocks. That's a massive game. <laughs> Just filling it up. Yeah, right. And again, only two three-pointers. Of course, he missed them both. All right. What's the streak at now for him and missed threes? Well, as long as he's 0 for 2, 0 for 1, it can continue forever. <laughs> That's the opposite of what Quinn Snyder would say. I'd rather have you go, uh, you know, 2 for 10. To me, I'd rather have him go 0 for 2 than 1 for 8. He is 2 for 11 from 3 in the series right now. Well, and, and in the wins, he has barely shot him. <clears throat> I, I don't want to see him shoot him. It's just not o, his skill set. 0 for 4 in the wins. You can't have every skill set. And he just doesn't have that. So what? I can live with it. All right. 
as Bowler would say, and he'll be here at 8.30 to say it, buckle up, here comes Rick the Dishwasher. Rick, good morning. Morning, DJ. All right, DJ. I'm going to lay a two-minute pitch on you and PK. You're on the clock. Contr- I'm going to hold you, you to it. Me. Okay, I ran this by Colin Coward up at the golf course the other day. You name-dropped he, 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 No, he loved it. He, no, he, he's good at analogies and logic. He loved it. He wants to use it. All right, here's my pitch. I used an old Utah story. Okay, 20 years ago, when the Jazz were in the championship run, I used to get irate at Jerry Sloan because of his old-school ways. I saw the analytics of the three long before it came when Steph Curry came because Jerry Sloan would not let his players take threes, and he would not let them defend the three because, in that quote, Jerry Sloan would say, last time I knew, easier to take a two-footer than a 24-footer. We now know the logic of PPP for the three versus the two is so out of whack, we have no mid-range game anymore because it makes no sense to have Matt Harpering run through three picks and take a 10-footer at 46% when you can shoot the corner three. Every team has at least one player that can make the corner three, which is uh, 12 to 14 inches shorter, at 50%. Ten shots at 50% is six more points than ten shots from 2%, which makes this ugly game. We now have every offense has two guys that stand in the corner, take a breather, shoot threes, and play defense, which means we now have four guys around the perimeter standing around. We're taking early shots, which is why Darren Williams made Jerry Sloan quit because Jerry didn't see the logic in shooting early and shooting more threes. So now we have this ugly game. How do we fix that? It's not just simple move the three out. 30 seconds. What you got, what you got to do is get rid of the corner three. How do you do that? You make the three-point shot a true arc now, which would bring the line out. You have to extend the width of the court three feet. By getting rid of that three-point, not getting rid of it, it'll bring down the percentage from 36-5 down to about 33%, which makes it on par with the two, and you now have a purpose for Carl Malone in the block. You now have a, a purpose for a point guard being a true point guard and distributing the ball. The number one purpose of a point guard now is, number one, he better be able to shoot the three. Number two, he better be able to penetrate and pop it out. And that fixes the game, because I guarantee within three years, Every single NBA team will be shooting 80% of their shots from three-point land because it makes no sense. Mark, Matt Harpering would not make an NBA team, and he was an all-star one year, because there's absolutely no point for a guy taking mid-range shots, and we got this ugly game now. What do you think? I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, I've thought about that arc, and are they going to move the three-point line back? I don't know that they're going to make the courts wider. That seems like a bit of a reach. Well, no, you have to, to, to make the arc a true arc. And, and you're right. It gets rid of one level of seats, which is money. Right. But I see the NBA game getting very ugly very quick. Because, remember, we're developing six foot eleven guys to shoot the three at age five. So they can shoot it way better. Do you know five-year-olds are a 6'11"? That is awesome. Well, no, I'm just saying your center. In our day, PK, if the big guy shot a three-point line, you got in fights with him because he's, what's he's your tired lazy of me. butt doing he's out here shooting three? 
Uh, yeah, anyway, I mean, obviously it's changed. I it's totally evolved. agree on that. Yeah, there's it's no evolved. doubt about that. Yeah. All right, well, well you, you actually you actually transitioned us to the next topic. Thanks for the call, Rick. Um, Rick, who foresaw where the three-pointer was going and the analytics ahead of it all. I love that. Uh, you've got another question up here on Facebook. The NBA is talking about making changes to the regular season. What do you want? And Rick wants that three-point line and the wider court. I do not think that Matt Harping made an all-star team. I'm looking. So be accurate. Good. He made an all-star team once. Now, maybe he did, but it wasn't the uh, East or Western Conference all-stars. Uh, change the court, though? That seems radical. I, people throw it out there every once in a while. Change it does seem radical. I don't think it'll happen. I don't, I, I don't think there's any momentum for that right now. Change the dimensions of the court. I, I must have missed that. I've heard, I haven't heard that one. You know, raise the basket a foot or not. You've heard that more often. Yeah. Uh, you know, Adam Silver was talking about that last night. Uh, I think it was more of uh, stuff like this: some in-season tournament. So you, there's more to shoot for than the title. I don't get it. I appreciate teams or leagues trying to improve themselves. And maybe give it a shot. But there's one thing. The American player wants one thing. The NBA title. Yeah. The foreign player wants one thing. Olympic gold medal. Yeah. And that'll always be that way. It doesn't mean they don't want the other thing. But if they can only choose one, I believe, this is just me speaking, and I could be totally off base. It won't be the first, won't be the last. I believe the American-born Donovan Mitchell wants one thing, and that's the NBA title. If he can only have one thing, the foreign-born guy with his national team wants the other thing. It's not right or wrong. It's just doesn't and it doesn't mean they don't want the other thing and they don't ball out for the other what, thing I when think, it comes. I think it was Giannis, although I could be wrong, but I think it was Giannis who was asked and he said about picking, he said, Well if I had to pick it it'd be gold. He says, But if I get gold, I want both. <laughs> so it's to your point. But you think about it, which one's harder to get? Well if you're an American, it's harder to get the NBA title. If you can make the Olympic team, you can get gold. U.S. has won gold three times in a row, but they're not because they they lost that exhibition game the other night. I mean, and we and you 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 pitched a fit about it, and you did nothing nothing this morning about the ladies losing to the uh, All Star team in the WNBA. You just totally ignored that, and yeah, sure, fine. Same principle, and it didn't mean anything to you. Whereas me, I was sweating that thing last night, thinking, oh my gosh, they're gonna lose the gold now. And you just totally blow it off this morning. And you didn't tweet about it. The Australian thing, you were nonstop Twitter. I had to defollow you because you were just clogging up my arteries and my Twitter account. (laughs) What am I? Sausage and gravy for breakfast? (laughs) Your arteries and your Twitter account. Yes, yes. You got my blood boiling. You were clogging up my arteries. Exactly, precisely. Thank you. Eat more grapes. Uh, Something in the skin of the, not the green grapes, the uh, the purple ones. So. Declogs your artery. But I get your point. If you're just going to go, uh, like, on, on paper, it's it's much easier to get this or get that. Right. And I just but think for the foreign player, to get an Olympic gold is really hard. <laughs> the U.S. wins them all. Well, it's about time you've come around. Three in a row, six out of seven. So. Uh, I don't see this in in 
season tournament. But if you want to give it a shot, I'm all for trying stuff, and then you could change it back. The, 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 there's two problems with it. One, because there's no tradition in it, why is everyone going to be up for it? Or is this going to well, be the throw easiest? throw more money at these guys who are already insanely be, rich. And so I don't know if that'll do it. Is this going to be the <laughs> easiest thing for Kawhi Leonard to duck out of? Even easier in the regular season. Right. And then the other thing is the clearly, you know, the four games and five nights and guys get worn down, so they've gone away from that. It's just if you stop down a regular season to play another tournament, how are you going to fit all these games in? Isn't it just going to – I think they're doing the right thing by getting away from the congested schedule, but this is just going to congest the schedule. So I don't, I don't see how they're going to work around it, and maybe they are. I haven't sat down with a calendar and tried to figure it out. I leave that to other people. You do? I do. Well, do they know that you are allowing them to do that? You leave that to other people? Oh, stop. <laughs> I don't doubt that Locke comes on the air and is like, well, if you start on this day, then you could. I don't I, doubt he is. So you're delegating them. Let them, let them feel good about themselves. It. You just said you leave it to other people. Oh Did he just God. say that, Yock? <laughs> you're bored. <laughs> you put up two questions, and you don't like either one of them. It's good. I'd rather make fun of you DJ. You said I leave it to other people. As is a did he say that like in a position of authority? I am in I no let, position I of authority the on the NBA schedule. That. The help, if you will. I'll work on football scheduling. I don't work on basketball scheduling. Okay, fine. I mean, you can't do it all. Even you can't do it all. <sighs> As much as the channel two people tell me, and that's the one thing I miss now since I got fired, is that I don't I don't hear them ragging on you anymore, and so that it bothers me. That was always entertaining, but go ahead. I, I don't. Uh, but if they want to try it, try it. I personally don't see the point. But I, I've never heard expand the court, and I'm all for leagues being progressive because things change. You know what was in the '50s, '60s, or whenever your league started. Uh, you know, for baseball back earlier, and we've seen football just make all sorts of changes, and it's more entertaining. You know, we 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 love the pass, but now if it's third and one, fourth and one, we also love the push. It, can the offensive line am I tougher than the guy across from me? We get off on that too. You want to hear the uh, former player tell us to get the pads lower? Yeah, that's great. But if we had a steady diet of that, that'd be boring. But now, because we don't, we actually have a steady diet of the diva receivers and all this stuff that they do, right? <laughs> but now, so when it's a short yardage situation, the crowd, you can just feel the momentum, the, the, the adrenaline just start to flow, right? Can they, can, are they going to get that fourth and one, fourth and a yard and a half? What are they going to do? Are they going to try a trick play or are they just going to man up? And we're tougher than you, a la some dude on the hill. I'm tougher than you. <laughs> right? That becomes and entertaining. He, you know, for all the conservative around, conservative uh, play calling and, you know, the frustration with the passing game, like Kyle loves his, uh, his fourth down gamble. Sure. Yeah. He's, he's run the numbers on it. Riverboat we're dude. Not, we're not punting this thing away. And I love that. It's two feet. Let's go get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And let's see, we're tougher than you. And that bec- that becomes, when it happens, because it doesn't happen a lot, but when it happens, it becomes entertaining. And that's what we want. We want entertainment from our sports. At least I do, and I think most people do. They want your team to win, too, obviously. Uh, so I think I- Rick's got a point that back at the beginning of this about the, the two-pointers and you don't want to see the same thing all the time. I suspect 
Although he could be right about changing the three-point line. I wouldn't rule that out. I'd be surprised if they changed the width of the court. But I think there's a little bit watching Chris Paul in the playoffs. It's like the whole analytics of don't shoot the mid-range shot. Well, it's all based on you're probably going to, most players are going to shoot, I don't know, 45%-ish on those like 15-footers. Get better at it. And Chris Paul is better at it. He makes a higher percentage than most guys at that range. And I just think we're going to see players develop the point with the floor so spread and only one guy to beat, you can get that open shot. And if you shoot that shot at a 55 or 60% clip, and you can say, oh, there's no way they're going to shoot that shot. Well, we didn't think we'd see all these guys shooting 45 to 50% from three either. Like NBA players have such awesome hand-eye coordination. If you give them a summer and somebody rebounding for them and a couple thousand shots a day, they might get awesome. And what's wrong with that? Footer. What's wrong with that? I don't There's understand. nothing wrong with that. I think you make individual improvement on your game, and fine. I, I just think that the game always evolves for every counter. There's another counter, and that seems to me to be the most likely counter. Fine. But maybe there is something to taking the three-point shot away. You know, and, and as far as Jerry not wanting to shoot the three and the twosies are making the three, the thing Jerry always used to say, which has really gone away, but I think it's partly because players just shoot the three so much better now. Players wanted to shoot the corner three, and he was always, you miss a corner three, it's going to kick out and be a long rebound and start the fast break the other way. Yeah, but that was the era. I, know. I mean, we used to think that smoking on a plane was okay if you were in row 14. <laughs> But in row 13, you could I'm up in row 6, so yeah. if they smoke in row 26, what does it matter? Yeah. Uh, it matters. Right. So, I mean, line of thinking and mm-hmm. advancements and all that stuff, that's just natural progression. So that was the way. And look at the oldest coach, 72, uh, with Popovich, and they're still not shooting a bunch of threes. So uh, there you go. And things change. They evolve. And, you know, if you took a baseball manager, Ralph Halk, if you put Ralph Halk and brought him back to earth and put him in the dugout now, he dropped dead. Why is my third baseman in right field? <laughs> and what is a bleeping launch angle? Yeah, and all this stuff. So I think things change over time. So that, that the game is managed, uh, coached, played differently. And I, I don't have any problem with the way Jerry Sloan ran his ball club for 22 years because he was awfully friggin' successful on that. Times change, skill sets change, and players have changed. And now we got a 6'11 guy in Giannis who takes two dribbles and he's at half court. Yeah. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio, with an update on the Open Championship. Guy's going low on day one. I guess the wind hasn't kicked up. Craig Bolojack's here at 830 and Joe Ingles at 905. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Mark Medina, USA Today, NBA Insider. What type of contract do you think Mike Conley is going to demand? I think that he can command maybe at the 15, 20 million, but there's also concerns about his injuries here. Now, all that being said, I don't think they really have any other choice but to resign him. I know that the Jazz are over the luxury tax and all that, but let's just call a spade a spade. The reality is if he doesn't come back, like they don't all of a sudden have a vacancy that they can fill to the same equivalent because they're over the tax. They only have the mid-level. And so I think it's in their interest because they have Conley's bird rights to just re-sign him. It's almost a no-brainer that they should retain him and sign him for whatever they can. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. 
The Top 60 and 60 is back in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the Top 60 in 60, presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness, right here on the Zone Sports Network. How glad are you the NBA Finals are tied 2-2 and Fletcherama at Johnny Higginson tweets at us, The NBA is rigged. Booker mauls a guy, and the ref obviously knows it to be a sixth foul. Fans need to start understanding it's entertainment, not true competition. It's all about revenue. The conspiracy theorists went nuts on that, PK. And you got to straighten me out, because you live to straighten me out. Because I miss obvious things, and then you shout at me. Was that not an egregious missed call? Okay, first off, it was the I, right thing. I thought it was a foul. So what? They don't foul him out, and the conspiracy theorists immediately go nuts. But if no. you're rigging the thing, you make the most money with a long series, they would have wanted to foul him out because it makes Milwaukee, it makes it should, in theory, make it easier for Milwaukee to win and tie the series at 2 2, guarantee him a sixth game, make a seventh game possible. Wow, the guy's thinking all that in the heat of the moment, huh? There's that, right? <laughs> but I'm saying if you're the NBA and you're trying to rig it, then letting Booker stay in the game is the wrong thing. You would want him out. Well, he'd already suffered, the team had suffered a great penalty. That, that's rule-changing. They have got to get rid of this stupid disqualification. It's the dumbest thing. It's too that, big a penalty. He, had to, he, he was hot, and he has to go sit out because of a foul? He got his fifth foul with 11 minutes to go in the game, and he sat for five minutes. When he was hot. He'd had 18 points in the third quarter. Yeah. He's lighting And then it up. he comes back. He's not going to be hot. You hope he can make a few buckets, and that's where I really ripped Phoenix. They stood around offensively and just tried to go one-on-one when they needed ball movement and stuff to do their thing, and they didn't do it, and they got stagnant. And that's where I think they lost the game, uh, trying to have Booker go one-on-one, dribble down the clock, and put up some shot. No, that, that just isn't going to work. I don't, I don't, if you're LeBron, it isn't going to work. you you got to have these guys moving. And cutting and slashing and coming off screens and all the stuff that they do to entail an offense. And once you get stagnant, forget it. You're 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 playing not to lose. It's like the prevent defense in the NFL. Uh, but the way I look at it, sure they knew they knew full well. And the thing about it is the Bucks retained the ball, so it wasn't like there was a big disadvantage. I don't have any problem with that. Yes, it is entertainment. I've come to grips with that long time ago. Long time ago. I mean, I think I was like 12 years old. When I went to the garden with my friend and he wanted to run around <laughs> in the finals with the Lakers and the Knicks, uh, I already knew then. I mean, I, I'm sitting there at that age not caring who's going to win the game, even then as a kid, right? And I grew up minutes from Madison Square Garden. But I wasn't a Nick fan. What is wrong with you? <laughs> well, I was a Nick fan because I followed them because they're on television and blah, everybody talked about them. You read them in the paper, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so I was a Nick fan, but I wasn't a Nick fan in terms of, man, I really want them to win. I define my fandom teams that I follow more than other teams. That's my. That's how I define fandom rather than winning or losing. But I realize that's different. But I, re- I can remember specifically, I want to sit and watch this game. I'm going to be entertained by this. The outcome didn't matter to me whatsoever. But the, like, do, when I go to a movie, do I have to have a certain outcome every time for me to enjoy it? No. 
Now they usually, you know, they end. The rom coms nice all end the same way. <laughs> they don't go their separate ways. But I don't go see them. I get yeah. your point, but you know, some of the great movies. Lots of people do need them to end. Fine, right. and lots of people they have to have their team win. Right? Same type yep. of principle. But for me, I identified early on as a child. This is entertainment. This is entertainment to me. So yeah, of you course like, they're trying to make a, a you a like buck. Forrest Gump. The love interest dies at the end. Spoiler alert! Oh, I ruined it. You oh, were just yeah. about to see that too yeah, for the fortieth time. Uh, so it is entertainment, and it should be acknowledged that it's entertainment. Why is that negative? I don't understand why we say it's entertainment and that has a negative slant. Of course, it's entertainment. These guys, because, in their essence, are entertainers. Yes, it's entertainment. But they're just people who don't want it to turn into entertainment WWE style where the competition isn't real. So, but then but once you do this thing, point, that's to ahead. your point that the penalty for too many fouls, you need a penalty for the fouls. We all agree. But you don't need that big a penalty. The guy everyone paid to see or set aside three hours to watch on TV doesn't get to play the game anymore. Right. So, what do you want? You want to go back to the old uh, three free throws to make two? So, yeah, they can go out there and foul on to Tekempo again, but, hey, we're going to give him a bonus free throw. Uh, you get a, no, no, you get a free throw in the ball. And you get a free throw in the ball on the side is another one. But quick. quick. And then as you're, as, when you get to that eighth foul, it's two free throws in the ball uh, on the that's side. that's what you want to do. Yeah. But, I mean, they're, gonna, they're not going to be trying to commit eight fouls. So, at, at that point, you've got you to gotta have a consequence. I, I understand that. You know, in the, but, but if you commit three uh, pass interferences, you don't have to sit out. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, the quarterback just grounded the ball for the second time. Well, then eject Tom Brady. Yeah. He can't play anymore. Yeah. It, that's unheard of. If, if the third baseman makes three errors... Hockey sends him away for two out. minutes or five, and then they come back. It's just, they've got to do something on that. To have Booker have to go to the bench when he's just blistering and he's wildly entertaining at that point, I love to see a guy get hot and get unconscious and unstoppable because then it's just fun for me, not necessarily caring about the outcome. It's fun to watch that. And he had to go sit and I had no problem that they let him stay in the game. Yeah. Because then if I'm going to do that, then I have to dissect Every single call and potential non-call that could have been a call throughout the game. I can't just pick and choose which calls I want to. Oh, they didn't foul him out. Oh, that's that's biased. They knew for sure they did. Yeah, of course they did. And it was the right thing to do. It wasn't like it was that outrageous. He didn't freaking, uh, who was it, Rambus against McHale. You know, and <laughs> undercut him and, or clothesline him or something. Straight up clothesline. Yeah. There's bodies everywhere. Right. So it wasn't that. It wasn't some massive hip check. Do we really want that? Do we really want a repeat of Steve Nash getting hip checked into this, literally into the score, underneath the scores table, and a couple guys go to rescue him, go pick him up, and because they stepped a half a foot out on the court, they're suspended. Do we really want that? No, that's why it hasn't happened again. Yes. That was Stern's lowest moment. That was brutal. Well, taking the Sonics out of Seattle. Mm. Lowest moment on the court. Come on, don't take me literally, man. I'm trying to get a poetic (laughs) license here and make it a point. It was was not good. Right. It was not fun. That changed the balance 
of the series, and that's what they did over some stupid rule? No, that's not. No, the fans didn't. The only fans on the planet were in San Antonio. The rest of the league or anybody who follows NBA didn't want to see that. No way. You want the players to decide it. Let them have their thing. It's why they proverbially swallow the whistle at the end unless they have no choice. Yes, exactly. Because it is entertainment. Still, I still don't understand why when somebody says it's entertainment, that's viewed as a negative. It's not to me. It's a positive, which is why the NFL has changed the rules a thousand times. Because it's entertaining. And NBA has changed the rule. You used to be able to ride the dude offensively all the way down. If you're, they, all they did was hand, uh, hand muscle check. stuff. Because, yeah, yeah, if you had strong arms, you put your hand on the guy's <laughs> hip, and you can just direct him as if he was a puppet. Yep. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio, coming up. Next, get an update on the Open Championship as guys are going low on day one. We will talk to him next. Joe Ingles is here at 9 o'clock live from Las Vegas. Australia getting ready to play the United States again Friday night as they tune up for the Olympics. Stay with us. This UNA Golf Open Championship update with Brian Taylor is brought to you by Mountainland Supply, Zions Bank, Black Desert Resort, and get some guns and ammo. Time. I got some guns. <laughs> Time to bring in Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Brian, good morning. Did PK just start this with, I've got some guns? Yes, he did. Well, okay. You've seen you me sleeveless. <laughs> Actually, I haven't, but uh, I can picture it in my mind, and it's breathtaking. <laughs> that was from Christmas Vacation. Sorry. So the Open is underway. It has been underway. It still continues. Uh, Webb Simpson has only played three holes. Colin Morikawa has only played six. You got a lot of golf in front of you today, and yet there are dozens of golfers who are done. Jordan Spieth is in the clubhouse with a 65. Louis Oosthuizen has a lead after his 64. How much golf have you watched? How much more golf will you watch? Can you do a marathon? Can you just like watch 12 straight hours of golf? I'm I'm trying. I'm trying, yeah. So I, I had my alarm set for five. I figured that would give me three hours before we talked to get caught up on everything and something woke me up about 3:40, and I checked the leaderboard saw Spieth was making a move and I was like screw it I'm getting up so <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been I watched the opening tee shots too at 11:33 last night so it's it was a short nap um which I might have to have another one this afternoon but but yeah I mean how about Jordan Spieth doing Jordan Spieth kind of stuff again four birdies on the front after the bogey at the third he, bogey, he birdies uh, five, six, seven, and eight. Great par save on nine. And, you know, those of us that play golf realize that when you got it rolling, it's great. But those par saves almost feel like birdies at times to keep that momentum going. And then he added another couple of birdies there at 15 and 16. And, um, you know, great to see speed. Last time he opened up with a 65, he well, it was four years ago at Birkdale, and he won. Um, he's, the only other time he's opened with a score better than that was the 2015 Masters when he opened with a 64 and went on to win that Masters in record fashion. So, um, you know, Spieth's back to doing Spieth's ways. Uh, it's a comeback year, and, and look, for, uh, look for Jordan Spieth. He's, I think right now he has to be the guy. 
Yeah, that, that's strong. I mean, I sort of view it as like a 15-point lead after the first quarter. You want it, but still a long way to go. Yeah, and in his comments afterwards, to that point, PK, he said, you know, I like being in contention in major championships. I kind of chuckled at that. That's obviously a, uh, you know, professional golfer at the top level should say that. But he, he also went on and he kind of gave a little, you know, sheepish smile, and he said, I've done a lot of things, a lot of different things with, uh, you know, being in contention in major championships. So, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he acknowledged that he's, he's obviously won a few, but, you know, he's obviously, uh, you know, lost a few too. So, uh, a lot of golf, and, and as we said, this golf course is uh, certainly can be quirky and, and cause all kinds of havoc if you get on the wrong side of it. I will say this, you know, watching uh, an interview with their greenkeeper, um, who, by the way, looks he said he, he's been mistaken for a band member of The Cure, uh, the <laughs> Golf Channel guy interviewing him, thought he looked like somebody out of the band Kiss. He was definitely a unique-looking uh, greenkeeper character, but... Um, Anyway, he, he said they actually did a few things before since the last open where they actually extended the second cut. And so if a ball hits the middle of the fairway, like we talked about, this is what I was kind of telling you earlier in the week, hits the middle of the fairway and then one you know, bounces into the heavy rough, they've extended that second cut so the light you know, rough so that if any ball is hit in the fairway, you know, it's going to have a chance to not be in the junk. You're going to have to hit it offline to be in the really heavy stuff. And so uh, I think that's another reason why you're seeing some of the better scores so far this, this morning. So do you expect the U.S. players to react well to this over the course of the tournament, or do they play on such beautifully manicured courses that this kind of stuff and the odd hops, not only can it affect the golf, but it affects them mentally, and do you expect a European to win this? Um, I, I, no, I mean, sure. I, I don't, I don't even know if it's American or European because the top players in the game are all playing in America on the PGA tour anyway. Right. And I think it's those that embrace links golf and the style of it. You know, you hear a lot of, you know, the players that just say, Hey, this is, you know, like even Jordan, for instance, said this is very similar type golf to what, what he played in Texas where it's windy and he has to play the ball down and slide it and that type of thing. So I think it's more of a mindset of, do you embrace the idea that you're going to get some bad bounces or is it just going to bug you that it's so quirky? And I think that there's a real mindset there, regardless of where you grew up playing as that, you know, how you handle those types of uh, situations. So I, I will tell you that most of the, again, most of the guys playing on the PGA tour, uh, you know, they play at green speeds that are 12, 13 on the stint meter. These are barely at 10. And so that's one of maybe even uh, with, along with the quirks and the bounces, you know, how many players can adjust to, actually taking a bigger swing at it. Xander Shoffley changed putters this week, you know, just for that fact. And, you know, where you've just got to be confident and comfortable with hitting it harder. Where on the PGA Tour, it might the, the kind of strike you hit here might go completely off the green, for instance. So th- those are some of the nuances that the players are, uh, are, are facing this week, for sure. So if I extrapolate this out after the first round by the guys who finished with Ustazen at 64 and two guys at 65 and three or four guys at 66 that it would be like in, you know, what, 24 under. I don't think it's going to be that, but what do you think it's going to be? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we saw, you know, at last, last time it was played in Ireland, um, you know, Shane Lowry got to 16 under. I think with the weather conditions, again, it's if you notice, if you're watching – part of the coverage you know the spectators are in shorts and t-shirts um you know it's 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 breezy 
but it's not raining. It's not supposed to have any water. Uh, and so I think the conditions are going to allow, like I, I mentioned before, they've, they've widened out or softened the edges of the fairway, which is going to keep more balls in play. The, the golf course is extremely um, darker green, much more dark green than what I've seen in the past, where it's mostly just really baked out brown. So balls are, are holding little softer conditions. And I, I just think with, with the weather being as it is, the softer conditions, um, you know, I, I think these guys are going to are going to continue to score. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to see a winner, you know, at this point in time, probably getting out there into that 12 to 15 range. So you can't win it in the opening round, but you can lose it. Uh, do you do you want to write anybody off? Uh, DeChambeau and John Rahm, one over 71s. Are there guys here you just want to say thanks for playing and goodbye? You know, I'm not going to write the one overs off yet. I mean, especially you know those two guys. They're they're both capable of of going low. Um, and you know, as we saw, Louis put a 64 out there. So I, I don't think Louis and Jordan are going to keep piling 64, 65, and, and just run away with it. This is you know the, the open seems to have you know everyone has a round that they struggle a little bit in. But you know, there's no doubt about it. I mean, right now plus one's tied for 74th. I mean, only half the field's really gone out. Well, a little more than half the field. But you know, you, you've got a there's a there's a lot of golf to be played. I I think, you know, shoot, I mean, you probably got to get it somewhere, you know, around par. I'm looking at, you know, guys that are, what's the worst score in the in right now? Is it uh, plus seven, plus five in the clubhouse? So, you know, nobody really went, you know, completely off the rails like could happen in this type of thing and where guys hit four, four or five or six shots in a bunker. Um, so haven't seen any of that. So I, I, I think, you know, right now it's still still pretty open. I think you got to be somewhere around, you know, maybe one, two over. So give yourself a chance to have a good round tomorrow. So let me recreate the selection process to get your thought on this, right? So okay. Bob goes first, then DJ, then we go through, and and then we get to the second round. And I always pick last, so I'm picking sixth at this point, right? And I decide, well, you know, I like Oosthuizen, and I start talking about him. I mean, I literally speak it over the air. And then I decide, well, I could probably get him in the third round because nobody else is going to take him. And then what does DJ do in the third round, picking one ahead of me? He takes him. Now, I think he took him because I put it in his mind, and he knows that I'm a golf savant because I was the only one who picked Tiger to win like 37 years after his prior major. I called it, right? So then he goes and he steals Oosthuizen, and I call crime on that he claims he would have picked him either way your totally objective view was it influenced by me or was he totally going to take him either way savant indeed uh completely influenced i mean everything thank you influenced right thank you i will tell you this you know louis is sort of the bridesmaid though right even though he has a claret jug from 2010 he is kind of a bridesmaid so while he looks good in the first round oh winning anything until sunday so you know, don't don't get too distraught on that one. By the way, the selection process—I can't believe you stand for that. You're telling me you pick third every round. Yep. Yeah. You know that's not how it works normally, right? I mean, right. But you cheered for you it. You want to give it. you want to. It's like in golf, you have a handicap, right? So this is a version of a handicap because I'm just better than the other guys. So this is the version of the handicap. This is the one sport where you can use your handicap, right? So that's what we do. That's why. And two things about me, Brian, that you know. 
is I'm benevolent and I'm and humble. humble. Yeah, that's humble. I was going to go with modest. There's but... a lot of humility there. So basically <laughs> what you're telling me is if you're handicapping this thing, you are saying that PK is the is the best picker of, of – has the best eye for picking golfers in major championships. DJ second. And then Bob Casper, son of Hall of Famer Billy Casper, is a distant third. So you're going to give him a couple of shots. No, it, no, he's a guest in our house, so you treat yeah. him like a guest. <laughs> he's the guest, so he gets the first pick. What we could do is we could switch to the snake draft that a lot of people use yeah, in fantasy yeah. football. We could yeah. go to that. But PK likes going last, so when he wins, he can go after us. And when he did it with Tiger, he was like, I went last. I got him. You didn't. And then I called him out on it. You always say that. You have a complex for your youth. Like, you literally said it on the show, dude. What? Hey, wait, <laughs> what? A minute, wait a minute. Can I, let, let me stop you right there. Go ahead. You're, you're giving me savant, and you're calling your Tiger pick, but you picked him. You picked two other golfers ahead of him? Because it was sweeter, I allowed them That's three chances <laughs> to take Tiger. I can, I can only bring these horses to the water. I can't force them to drink, Brian. They have mm-hmm. to do it on their own. And I wanted them to, but they didn't. And I thought, all right, I hate to do this, but I got to show them the right way. You know, like the parent who has to teach the kid the hard lesson. You don't really want to do it, but you have to at some point in their best interest same principle here okay hold, hold on one second okay one second. okay uh yeah i got tiger on line two here hey tiger i'm on here with pk he just wanted to tell you that uh, he picked you to win the 2019 masters third i mean okay you're talking pk you're on with tiger go ahead and tell him how great you felt picking him third well, I believed in him. The other two didn't. <laughs> I believe I believe in him that if I get three picks, I'm going to pick him. Well, if I two. only had one. No, I wanted to make it that much sweeter. Don't you understand <laughs> the process? Listen to you. Listen to you. Wow. Most people do. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. Man, nothing's getting by you. I've been up for six hours, and you're like razor sharp this morning. I'm impressed. Uh, somewhere, somehow, when I came to Earth, they said, yeah, we'll allow you to do this, but nothing else. <laughs> so who else you got? I, I didn't hear the pick. So who else you got? So you Bob opened by taking Rom, who he Mark. took with the first pick uh, at the Open, and that paid off for him, at the U.S. Open, and that paid off for him. Uh, I took Rory McIlroy, and PK took Brooks Kepka. Second round, Bob took Xander Shoffley. I took Justin Johnson, and PK took Justin Thomas. Final round, it was Spieth, Usheisen, and Fleetwood. Mm. All right. Those are all good picks. Who do we miss? Who do we miss? Who are you thinking? Oh, I can't believe I didn't hear that name. Um, you said Xander, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think you – I mean, you covered all the, the main guys. Um, but, you know, in all likelihood, none of them will win, right? I mean, that's how it works. But uh, Dustin Johnson's an intriguing one. Let's not forget he was in contention until he – Busted one out of bounds and gave it up for, I think it was the Ben Curtis Open way back when. Um, so on this golf course, I think Brooks Kepka there, it's, he, he didn't have his best stuff today, but he can get around this golf course. I think we'll see him. I think we'll see him make a move tomorrow. Um, I guess nobody picked Tony. He's sitting well, there. Well, we're not allowed. We, we, we banned Tony. We oh, I see, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah it would all be a bunch of homers going for a guy and, that we And I wanted to pick a like. foreigner, and I was deciding between Justin Rose and Fleetwood, so I went with Fleetwood. I think Fleetwood's a great pick too. He is. I can't. I don't remember where he's at. Is he teed off yet? No, I think he's just getting ready. There, a lot of our guys have not teed off yeah. yet. Uh, Xander Shoffley, 
hasn't teed off. Roy McIlroy hasn't teed off. Uh, there's still a lot of guys. Justin Thomas hasn't teed off. Fleetwood, so they'll, they'll, they'll all tee off nine. in the next hour, our yeah. time. And their yeah, time you'll too. know. Hey, by the way, JT, I just saw him. He tee, he had his first his opening tee shot right where Tiger did back in 2003. You remember that? They never found the golf ball. There's like 50 people walking around, and they never <laughs> found it. He had to re-tee so hopefully JT has a little bit better luck uh, this morning. But, yeah, I mean, I'm interested. So Rory McIlroy continues to be. So we, we've seen what Spieth has done. He's kind of, you know, resurrected himself a little bit after going through the drought. Uh, he still hasn't won a major yet since 2017. But at least he's got a win. I mean, Rory's seven years. I mean, Rory's too good to not still be winning major championships. I just can't think that he's done. So I'm really anxious to see how he plays. He's, you know, he's been working with uh, a, a new swing instructor and, Working on that, it just—it's got to come together at some point in time. So, which one have you had, Rory? I got him in the middle of the first round. All right, so I'm—I got—I got hope for that one. I, Rory's a fun guy. Speed, Rory. Well, those guys are playing well. I think the tour is better. So, I'm—I'm um, I'm definitely rooting for both guys, those guys to get their game back and and have a tournament this week. So, well, it's, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch it. And you know what? I—I'll tell you this. I enjoy watching. Lynx golf like this right now. I don't need to see sideways rain where you can't see the, through the camera lens because there's so much rain <laughs> yeah, and you really. can't follow the golf ball. So we got some wind up there. We've got some quirkiness. We got some pop bunkers. I, I think this is this is good for me. I don't I don't need stocking hats and rain gear. So I don't know how to phrase this gracefully, but are any of the second or third tier European guys who, you know their names and they've been around, but you really don't expect them to win. Is this where they shine? Oh, it's been, I mean, when's the last time we had an Englishman win a open championship? It's been uh, a while, right? Um, But, you know, you look at the guys that are up there. I mean, I think the guys you're talking about are the, you know, the Andy Sullivans, um, you know, the Danny Willis, the surprises at the Masters. Um, yeah, let's see who else is up there that's kind of hanging around. Um, well, Justin Rose and Paul Casey, I mean, they're yeah. good golfers, but they're not Spieth and Kepka and DJ, you know, but do yeah, they have something on this tier. course? Um, I, I don't think this course, I don't, I don't know how to say this golf course has an advantage to anyone because yeah. we've seen the likes of Greg Norman at the number one in the world win here in 93. We saw the, uh, the the uh, you know the greats of the game like uh, you know Walter Hagen and and you know uh, uh, who I forget Harry Varden win a couple here right but then you've got you know Bill Rogers and you got Ben Curtis and Darren Clark is an older guy you know just you know really kind of unexpected winners so I, I just I, I have a hard time saying this golf course. I think it's just a variety of different players, and it just is whoever's drive. I think the one key is you got to drive it well. I mean, we watched Bryson do Bryson ball this morning, and he just stuck to hitting it as far as he could. He, I think it was a 400 and you know 30 or 40 you know yard hole, and he had 60 yards out of the heavy stuff. Couldn't stop it. Went over and do another bad lie. Made bogey. So I, I think you just have to drive it well. So when you look at guys like Justin Rose and Paul Casey, typically really good drivers of the golf ball. So. Can those guys compete? Sure, absolutely. All right, we'll leave it right there. We appreciate everything except your uh, opinion about Louie. That was wrong, but whatever, Brian. You can't get them all. No, look, that was also that was also positive towards you, DJ. That just says that you have an influence on PK, and I don't even know if he felt knew that he was admitting that, but he did. He admitted that you influenced 
his life. I think there's a song there, PK. You could probably sing <laughs> that for us about how you influenced my – anyway, yeah, I'll let you guys go. Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio. He and Bob will be on Saturday morning, 6 to 9, right here on the Zone Sports Network. Craig Bowlerjack is talking NBA Finals next. It is 2-2. Which way is Bowler lean and Suns or Bucks? We will talk with him. And the Joe Ingles Show, a special Olympic edition, live from Las Vegas, where Australia plays the U.S. Friday night. They won the first meeting. They got a second tune-up game with them for the takeoff for Tokyo. Joe's going to be here at 9.05 on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Jonathan Tabinari, former BYU great. You had some great insight and going back and forth on Team USA and why this team seems to have its struggles playing international-style basketball. When you're playing international competition, it's tough. It's a different ballgame, guys. Physically, it's very 90s NBA-esque. You know, you could put a forearm, you could use your hands, and uh, the hand's part of the ball. And it's very much in that type of situation that it's very physical. And this is not going to say that, that Greg Popovich is not the Hall of Famer that he is, but I just don't see how his style of personality and coaching fits what the international scene is. There's a whole lot of things that need to change for this team so they can win gold medals. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision loves teachers. If you're a teacher and needs LASIK, Davis Vision wants to give it back. Schedule a free consultation appointment and inquire about additional savings to their summer sale price. Call them today at 801-253-3030 or check them out at davisvisionmd.com. DJ and PK, it's time to bring in Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Bowler, good morning. Hey, DJ, PK. How are you? Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? (laughs) DJ, PK, Bowler. (laughs) You didn't mean that literally. <laughs> All right, Bowler. Two Bowler. games apiece. The Suns win two at home. The Bucks win two at home. Three to go. It's best two out of three. Who do you got? Oh, my goodness. Well, look. Um, home court's everything, right? So someone's going to have to steal one. Well, the Bucks. Uh, so, you know... Uh, this one's uh, this one was easy to call about five days ago. That was been the Phoenix Suns, who are absolutely dominant, and I was really impressed with their play in the first two games. Now the Bucks in that uh, just scramble, get it done, defensive mode, and Jake and I were just talking about the recovery block by uh, Giannis last night, big time, big time, big time play, big fourth quarter. Uh, I still have to lean Phoenix way because they have a game seven at home if necessary. But this is a better series than most thought. I liked it. Entertaining game last night. Hard fought. Loved the fourth quarter. Uh, the threes aren't really falling for either team. But uh, the mid-range jump shot, man, it's huge. It's keeping Phoenix alive. It did at least on the road last night. Uh, but I was impressed with uh, Middleton, Antetokounmpo. I mean, those are efficient numbers. I mean, PK, come on. Double-double, eight assists, three steals, two blocks. Um, he didn't play all that well in Phoenix, but uh, games two, three, and four, I've been pretty impressed with the big guy. Yeah, the thing that stunned me was like 78 field goal attempts to 
97 for the Bucks, yeah, and that is right. a startling number. And and if the Bucks do that, they have a 20 field goal attempted advantage. I mean, I don't know what the win percentage is, but I got to believe it's really really high. Well, they got to the free throw line a lot too last night, and that frustrated. I think that played a big part. I don't know how you guys looked at it last night, but you know, Booker was you know Booker was incredible. I'm looking at highlights right now. Let me turn it down. Uh, but you know, Booker goes 42. Chris Paul struggled, but um, you know, it's it's about free throws. It's about getting in the head of your opponent a bit. It's what the home court does. Look, Salt Lake is loud. Vivint Arena is awesome. Um, you know, fear the deer. <laughs> Look, that crowd was crazy last night. Uh, doesn't happen often, right, to have a finals uh, in your building uh, and a chance to win it. And you're, like you said, it's it's down to just a mini three-game series and how this turns out, you flip a coin. But I like the way the Bucks are playing right now. They're much more engaged defensively. Um, the mid-range shot on both sides of the ball, on both sides of, uh, of the floor, are really kind of the bread and butter, what the Suns like to do. And what the Bucks like to do too, especially with Middleton um, and Holiday. Uh, Chris Paul was just off his game last night, but it tells you how important he is to the Phoenix Suns. And and Aiton didn't get as many touches as I thought that maybe he would. Uh, he did not get the, get to the free throw line, but I still like the way Aiton's played in the series. Uh, he's a he's a he's a dual threat. But I don't know what the separator is going to be. You know, that's what I keep trying to think to myself, DK. Uh, what what will be the difference maker in the title here, and uh, is it going to come down to Booker, and is it going to come down to to Antetokounmpo? It, it may just be those two guys, or you may see a Middleton, or you may see Chris Paul um, save the day. Um, Thirty six years old, he wants it bad, and I get that. But that game seven, if they if it goes seven, which I'm guessing it will. Uh, is going to be in Phoenix, and that could be the difference maker. Really, home court could be the final, the, have the final say. So the finals is a bigger stage than a regular season game, so that's just not even comparable. But just like in the moment, you're more impressed with Giannis. The hips and shoulders are squared up. He's defending Booker, and he spins, does a 180, takes off, finds the ball, oh. and gets the block. Or... Rudy gets fooled at the top of the key and recovers all the way back to the rim to get the swat and call, and, and save the game. Uh, DJ, those are both. Well, look, I mean, because it's a finals game, that's a dynamic, maybe, well, game four saving play. But Rudy's ability of on top of the key to recover that quickly to go baseline is just incredible. I mean, that's why Gobert is a three-time defensive player of the year. Giannis obviously a two-time MVP and could be a could be a finals MVP the way that he's played. So, you know, if Rudy could do that in a finals game, we we wouldn't be surprised, but we see it the way that Rudy can recover is really his calling card in my book. I mean, Gobert is drawn out. Look, it didn't work quite quite his way against the Clippers. He didn't know whether to go guard Terrence Mann or stay low on the block and guard rim. And he jumps out late. You got to make those decisions, and it's difficult to do. And one of the things I think the Jazz will be looking at in the off season about just another you know guard uh, that can go out and jump out and defend. But that's a whole nother conversation. But both of those plays are are dynamic. I mean, that's what bigs are supposed to do. But the feet, the way the 
the footwork of both those guys are absolutely phenomenal. And that play last night will be replayed uh, all day. Probably was all night, and again all day. Probably reviewed again for game uh, for game five. But that was that was a hell of a play. And probably in my book, I thought that moment probably changed the way that the outcome of this game uh, last night. So when you say this play will probably be reviewed all night, what you're saying is all night long, all night long, <laughs> all night. All night. All night. Got to get Tim Lacombe to sing that. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Play along. I like it. <laughs> the thing- oh, my. It's been re- replayed, replayed all night long. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great thing about the Bucks is that when you look at their lineup right now, they played, what, seven, eight guys? Uh, I think T got 11 minutes. And you look at how they assembled this team. Brooke Lopez is the highest drafted player on this team at 10th. Giannis goes 15th. You got Holiday 17th. Chris Middleton, second round, 39. Yep. Uh, Connaughton, uh, second round, 41. P.J. Tucker, second round, 35. It's not the traditional way. And I just no. think it's outstanding for the league to send the message that do your homework, do everything that you can the right way, and you got a shot. You know, PK, this is going to be talked about um, if the Bucks win uh, for a long time. Uh, and because, to your point, it's been – I read a great article the other day. It's like a 10-year mission by Milwaukee to get to this point. And I think, you know, we're also in a world where it's win now. And it's um, it's it's a long road, but you you just kind of went through the whole process of of how they've built this team, the pieces needed, free agency, draft picks, Lopez, by the way, Antetokounmpo, who uh, they really uh, just went out and said We're, we believe in this young guy, and look what he's become. Um, you know his line again last night is superb, Middleton. Lopez, remember, saved the day when Antetokounmpo had the hyperextension on the knee and came out and had a career night. But he's a solid guy. Uh, didn't have a good three-point shooting night last night, but he, for a big, he can shoot the three. I like the team. It is what That is team. It's very much like how the Jazz have done it, team. Uh, and sometimes that word doesn't go well, in my opinion, when I travel uh, within, within the NBA. It's like, ah, come on, man. The team now, you got to have the big three. And, you know, it's refreshing. And I think the ratings have proved that. Look, they're only really comparing it to last year in the bubble, but there was so much discord amongst fans about Black Lives Matter and, and COVID and all the issues that people were just, like, you know, upset about. And, um, you know, the numbers didn't prove out. Okay, you know, anger, reset. And if people don't like the way this series has gone, it's, I'm sorry, it's, it's the way it is. It's not LeBron, it's not KD, it's not Luka, uh, but it's, it's guys that bust tail. And even Chris Paul, love or hate him, the guy has played his backside off uh, to get to this point. And, you know, Booker's grown up. Uh, you know, DeAndre Ayton has grown up. I mean, you're showing that you can still be at a high level, 
with players who fit a system. And I, that's what I applaud, you know, the Bucks doing. They, they put the right pieces together. Uh, they struggled during the regular season, but they found their way. And that's what that's all that counts is that you're one of the last two teams standing at the end. Um, but I think fans, I don't know, what do you guys, I, I, do you guys agree? I mean, some of the people I've talked to have actually, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air to have new faces, some new young stars growing. And, you know, I talked to Doris Burke not long ago, and she thinks it's really on the networks um, to really help grow new, new stars in this league. You know, we get fixated on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Look, they're talented, yes, uh, but they go to big markets and they're on television a lot. Zion was on, I think, more than anybody last year. And look, he's in New Orleans, I get it. But it's, again, how you hype or build a team. And networks, she was saying, maybe had some responsibility uh, or irresponsible in some ways of ignoring some teams or some stars. I thought it was pretty intriguing. Maybe this is one of those situations where the, the Milwaukee Bucks and even the Phoenix Suns are getting their just due and letting fans around the country see just how talented uh, this group is. Well, I think it's uh, they're they're not embracing social media enough. The sizzle reels, those opens that uh, the, the sizzle reels are good, but in the digital universe, how come they're not doing them for all of the top one hundred players? How come they're yeah. not doing them for every player? I mean, there's probably a point of diminishing returns. Guy 10 isn't playing enough. He doesn't have enough awesome video to make it. Right. But, but why aren't they doing it for the top 50 or 100 players? Um, you know, to the degree you use music, when you do one open to a game, you know, you have to pick. Are you using classic rock? Are you using rap? Are you using country? Well, when you're putting stuff out on social media, why isn't there everything? I mean, there's literally no limits here. Yeah. And and there's a chance, and, and you're of the era, you know this, and the NFL gets a lot of credit, and CBS gets a lot of credit, the cold opens that they did in the 80s, kind of setting the storyline. If you go back and look at them, I mean, they were good, but they weren't that good. I mean, everything changes. You know, yeah. the pace they're at it and at, it's totally different. So there's that kind of st- chance to build storylines, and I think there's a... There's a lot of work to be done there if they yeah, choose to make, do it. They're also getting a lot of money because even though people, the viewership is dropping for these big events, whether it's the baseball all-star game or it's the NBA finals, viewership's dropping, but it's not dropping as fast as the viewership is dropping for everything else. True. Scripted true. dramas, sitcoms, and all that. They're, they're taking a much bigger hit. Yeah, they are. So, you make a great point about you know the visual elements that that television should use to their advantage because as a I think as a society it's a visual and an audio type of excitement that they can bring the way things are edited the way things are presented whether they use a TV or radio call uh, just to put an exclamation point on the particular player or the particular moment <laughs> to relive it and to bring it into your home. Uh, you can do it the lazy way, or you can take, you know, find some some incredibly talented people who can give you the they give them the thumbs up to say go do this and make a presentation. As you said, those dry opens, you know, on on football uh, was something again is to catch your attention, to pull you in, to keep you there, and it usually always elevates, you know, the excitement level, but it also promotes 
a particular player or two that they're going to, you know, focus and concentrate on. And it helps build, you know, their reputation and their star power. Um, it depends what the networks want to do. Are they going to, you know, what are they going to do in game five? I mean, is it going to be all Giannis? Is it going to be a Chris Middleton who may not be the sexiest name around the NBA because of the 40-point the night that he put on? Are they going to do, you know, show the frustration of Booker and, and the Phoenix Suns? I don't know. But I, there there's some points to that, too. I mean, I think you, you have to draw the viewer in more and more now. And television has still has that that blessing to visually – and audibly, you know, let you hear, see, and hear the sounds and sights of a game. Uh, just depends if they want to go the distance to do it. Bowler, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again. Hey, tell Joe to put ten dollars down on red, will you? <laughs> okay. The Utes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten ten on red. Okay. Yeah, for the Utes. We'll do. It. Utes, if he really feels if he feels lucky, go twenty. And I'll, right. try to, I'll try to run into him later and take care of that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bowler. All right, guys. See you soon. All right. Joe Ingles is coming up. Joe is coming up in about 15 minutes right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, live from Las Vegas. Australia playing some tune-up games, ready, getting ready for the Olympics. They beat the U.S. They're going to play him again on Friday. We'll talk with Joe. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. I never thought Notre Dame would ever play the home game. It owes BYU. Be a reason. They're Notre Dame. They don't really have to. But why'd they sign the contract in the first place? They're supposed to hold up your end of the deal. (laughs) One time I went to Ocean City with a bunch of my friends. A bunch of people were walking by. And we got to change into our beach gear. And so a couple of the guys were holding towels up. All of a sudden, one of them dropped the towel. You're not holding up your end of the deal here. We held up the towel for you. Now Notre Dame is dropping the towel. And there BYU sits naked as can be. Oh, that was a long way to go to get there. The point is, Notre Dame should live up to that deal. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK reminding you we are brought to you in part by The Warehouse. You can join the Big Show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 until 7. Price is so low it'll blow your mind. <laughs> And now we're going to blow your mind with a story PK just read to me during the break. This has nothing to do with sports, but it's highly entertaining. And it's a situation that at least to a degree, many of us have found ourselves in. But this is an extreme example, and we're all really glad we don't have this story to tell. It's entertaining, but it's better that somebody else lived it. Dateline Stockton, California. I used to be the Jim Healy show back in KMPC. <laughs> Dateline, he would do that. So uh, Stockton, if you haven't been there, about an hour south of Sacramento in the Valley. It's hot. It's flat. Home to the University of the Pacific Tigers. It is, yeah. Hour and Just a half. A new coach. Probably an hour and a half-ish from the Bay Area. Yeah. With uh, Stoudemire taking yeah. off. Elevated the assistant coach. They did, yeah. It was that very day. Yeah. yeah. They did make like, okay, you're leaving. Move you up. Where did he go? Boston? He's, he's going to be Ime Udoka's yeah. lead assistant right. for the Boston Dame Celtics. So, Dateline Stockton, California, for passengers on Allegiant Flight Airlines Flight 161, an hour-long flight turned into a 17-hour journey. A what? A 17-hour journey. That's not possible. I'm looking at this on Google Maps. It says you can fly it in an hour and a quarter. 17 hours. What went wrong? It was absolutely horrible, said Jade Watts, who was on that flight. The flight was scheduled to arrive at Stockton Metropolitan Airport. 
on Monday night at 9.30 p.m. They got in on Tuesday at 2 p.m. Missed it by that much. Here's what happens. This quote, the pilot comes on and says the control tower is closed, said oh. Watts. The pilot couldn't get a hold of anybody on the ground in Stockton. So they all went home. Hey, Bob, we got any? Fl- I don't think so. I think all the flights are done tonight. Yeah, what do you think, Mac? Let's cut out, man. Let's, let's go, go out. Home. Let's go get a burger. Let's hang. <laughs> so they, they, apparently they leave. <laughs> so The Giants game is on. Let's go. <laughs> so you can't. It was all-star break, so uh, home run derby finishing up. Uh, they can't land without a weather report. So they went back to Vegas. Oh. Then he comes on and says there's a thunderstorm in Vegas and zero visibility. Now, down in southern Utah, they've been having a lot of rain, I guess. Uh, and, and obviously that goes over in the Vegas with the monsoons. I mean, the monsoons in the desert are much nastier than we get here, having lived through that many years in Arizona. They kick up a lot of dust with the winds. Yeah, yeah. Again, I don't know if you once saw there was a picture of them. They come from the south, so they're coming from the East Valley. And huge, I mean, like the biggest massive wave you can imagine, but it's dust. It's not water. Mm-hmm. And so they can, and you feel the dust gets in your mouth. Like, yeah. Like you can taste it, you know? So it really causes a lot of uh, problems there. Uh, so they go back to Vegas, but there's a thunderstorm. So then they got to figure out, okay, we got to land here pretty soon. <laughs> so, so they go to LAX. They're allowed to get off the plane and went into a holding room, but nobody's uh, got hotel reservations. To make matters worse, there's no restrooms in this holding room. Flying, finally, the flight was rescheduled for Tuesday, and passengers were given 250 buck ticket vouchers and left to fend for themselves. "Quote: We had to find transportation in the hotel rooms. There were people sleeping in the airport." Uh, according to a legion of visibility sensors, part of the airport's weather reporting system and OK's plans to land, it went out, and the Stockton control tower was closed. So, it rescheduled the next day. You can drive from Vegas to Stockton in eight hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a horrible story. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've all had them. Yes. We've all gotten the vouchers. Sorry, your flight is canceled. Yeah. I had uh, I stranded in Houston. You know, I've flown once. Allegiant from Provo to Phoenix a few times, and they've been fine. Some of the times, not as good. My uh, wife's uh, nephew got married uh, February before last, and since it was February, she says, "Do you want to go to his wedding?" Absolutely, <laughs> in February. <laughs> yes, and so we left at two, and the wedding was at six. But fine. Got there fine. And then on the return flight was a Sunday. We get to the airport and there was a storm up here. So the flight was canceled. And the next flight they could get you out was Wednesday. And you were gone. I remember you were gone. So I called Lloyd. Lloyd, we got an issue. (laughs) (laughs) But I ended up doing the show Monday morning. Uh, down there, I was able to use a uh, certain technology that's acceptable at certain times and uh, used it uh, there and did the show because you uh, you hardly ever take off, but you were gone or else I would have said, fine, come back Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> DJ, I'm going to miss one. Yeah, uh, but you were gone. So I felt the need to get back. 
And so we ended up going on Frontier. Uh, so I used uh, Allegiant to save money. And, of course, it t- cost me three times as much because I brought my daughter, too. And uh, we got back on Monday afternoon. And one other time, I think I was on uh, Delta. I mean, I'm not singling out any airlines by any stretch. My wife and I were in Hawaii. And we were supposed to take a, an evening flight and we're golfing uh, that that day on a Monday. And it got canceled. Yeah, and, we had a flight mechanical issue canceled yeah. in Hawaii once. Oof. And it would have been, then we go the next day, and they, uh, the pilots and the crew, they timed out because mm-hmm. it was delayed. So yeah. now we're two days, and so it would have been a third day, uh, and we got a 14-year-old at home that we, I called up a friend. I said, can you go over? <laughs> he said, yeah, I got this. And so he actually stayed at our house. And, uh, but then we, uh, instead of the staying over the second night, we booked a flight through Seattle. And so got home at like 11 in the morning. So it was a good 48 hours later. So we've all had horror stories in that way. One time we had, we were going to, uh, we went to the Bahamas and we're coming back in Baltimore. And there's a big storm and our flight got uh, delayed, right? But they decided, oh, the storm has taken a little bit over to the left. And if we get on this plane real quick, they can get us out. And so we did. And there was this gal on there. And she is complaining that there's no overhead uh, luggage thing. And the people start yelling at her because we got like <laughs> 10 minutes. Before the storm closes yeah, everything yeah. out. And people start, sit down, shut up, sit down, boy, check the bag. We got to go. Because we literally, literally, literally right. countdown. Yeah, the window's going to snap shut. Yeah, the storm's yeah, yeah. going to make it impossible. And people were yelling at her to shut up. So she did and sat down and we did get off. That was funny. And I remember they said the storm was around Dulles. And my wife said, we got plenty of time if the storm is in Dallas. I said, <laughs> not said, Dallas. That's Dallas. Dulles. Dallas. That's down in D.C. We're in Baltimore. That's like 45 minutes to an hour away. Not Dallas. Dulles. Yeah. So, I mean, she means well. <laughs> She's hiking today and saw a moose. Sent me a picture. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. Which canyon? Catherine Pass. I don't even know. She says Catherine Pass. Someone will tweet us and let us know where that is. I think it's up... uh, One of the Cottonwoods? Yeah. What's the one that's to the north? I always get it confused. Big is to the north. I think that's the one, yeah. Yeah, Okay. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Joe Ingles is in Las Vegas with the Australian Olympic basketball team. They're playing the U.S. Friday night for the, the second enemy. time in a week. Yes, the enemy. Joe Ingles. Joe Joe's, the enemy Ingles. Joe's putting on the green and gold. We will talk with Joe next. Stay with us. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... <laughs> And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. (coughs) With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5-1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to talk 
Olympic basketball with Joe Ingles. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Joe, you got me in trouble with my tag team radio partner. Uh, did I? So there's these <laughs> tune-up basketball games, and I'm watching them. You're playing, uh, Australia's playing the United States. You know, and it's, it's an exhibition, it's a tune-up, but I get completely sucked into it, and then PK's telling me it's a tune-up, an exhibition, dial it back, big guy. But I was watching literally from the start. And in the first 25 seconds of the game, you got right up into Durant. You defended him. Then there's a whistle and a foul. And then you're yakking at him. And at first, I'm looking at his body language. I'm like, man, Joe's going to egg Durant into a fight 25 seconds into the game. (laughs) And then they cut to another camera. And Durant is trying to suppress a laugh. I'm like, what is Joe doing? I can't wait to ask him. What were you doing with KD? I was trying to defend him, which uh, is uh, obviously a pretty tough task. Um, no, I just tried to obviously, I mean, it's, I don't know how many games of ours you've watched in my uh, Australian career, but bleed. Um, I mean, that's, that's how we play. We're, we're a, a gritty team. It's what we've always had to do, um, especially when I first started. We've had to get into teams, play defense. This is how... We, we, when I first started, we had one NBA player, so we were we were struggling to to kind of keep up with teams, and um, yeah, we we get up into teams, and and he didn't he definitely didn't do it on purpose, but as I got up into him on the first play, he squared up and got me in the uh, the baby maker, so <laughs> um, wasn't too bad. Lucky it wasn't too too hard, but he, and I was like, what are you doing? And obviously, I, I knew he didn't do it on purpose, but. Um, no, nothing, uh, nothing in it. It was a bit of fun, and um, yeah, glad we, uh, glad we got a win. So, when you guys get together as a national team, it seems like your team in particular, and probably a lot of the national teams, they're able to at least to a to a degree pick up where you left off. But the Americans don't have that. How important is the fact that there's a lot of uh, consistency in your national team from competition to competition? Oh, I mean, it's it's extremely important. I think um, obviously the tough part for probably America, probably being the only one really, is the, the amount of players they can choose from. Um, we obviously still have a... I think a pretty broad and, and big group of, of guys that we can choose from. Um, but obviously America's is always going to be every NBA American, every NBA player, which is, is a lot of players around the world. So, um, yeah, we've, we've been together a long time. We've actually got, I think seven guys that are going to their first Olympics. So it's a, it is a bit of a new team for us. We've got Matisse Thibault, who has never played with us before. He's never Never, been, I think he knew like two or three of us before we, he came into camp. Like he really didn't know anyone. Um, we've actually got a new coaching staff this year, um, a, a complete new coaching staff. Everybody's um, uh, different. I think maybe one guy's the same. So um, it, it, it's been different for us this year, actually. Um, probably the most in in kind of the recent history. So um, we have played together a bit. 
um, our coach was our coach 13 years ago, um, which is different. Um, but yeah, just just having a group of guys that have been there together. Like I started playing with, with Paddy when we were 15. So we're still playing together now. So that kind of shows the consistency we've had with our group. And um, it definitely helps us and um, for us. And, and there's a lot of other countries as well as obviously use it as an advantage. We were a few steps ahead of, of knowing how each other play and what we want to do off the ball and stuff like that. So it's definitely a bit of an advantage, but um, obviously USA and there's other countries too. Regardless of who's out there, it's still a, a very talented team. So we're hearing a lot about how international ball is refereed different. And if, aside from the rules, and you know the goaltending rule is very different and all that, but are they? How differently is the game called? How much of an adjustment is that? Yeah, it's it's extremely different. Um, we hadn't played for a couple of years just because of COVID and stuff like that, and. Um, the first game we played against Argentina here in, in Vegas, our whole team was was trying to probably using probably the first half to kind of get used to the rules again, and um, the, the five can stand in the paint the whole, or anyone can stand in the paint the whole time. There's no three seconds. Um, the courts, I don't know if it is smaller, but it, <laughs> it always feels smaller. Uh, obviously, with the three point line being a bit closer. Um, not as much space in the lane to, to play pick and roll and stuff like that. Um, yeah, like you said, hit, hitting the ball off the off the hoop if it's bouncing. There's there's no like Euro fouls. Um, that's an unsportsmanlike foul. So they get shots in the ball back. So it, it is it is very different. Um, I actually said after the first Argentina game, I forgot how how physical it is. It's it's just extremely physical. Um, the guys, Argentina especially, pick up full court the whole game. Um, even US were, were up the floor a bit most of the game as well. So it's a it's a very different style. It's it's refereed different. Um, obviously for us, like I said, and a lot of other countries, you, you I, I mean, we've played these rules. You, you get used to it, but but it still takes time to to adjust to it. And, um, yeah, I think we'll we'll get used to it. Um, we'll get more and more comfortable, but it's it's very very different to the the NBA, which obviously the USA is something kind of very foreign to them because they've they've played with these the, the NBA rules a lot longer. I'm wondering, you know, with the NBA, you guys had strict protocols that you could uh, what you could do away from the court and all that stuff. How's it with you guys in this situation? Um, yeah, it's still pretty strict. Um, I thought we'd be getting more lenient as we've gone on here this last couple of years, but it's um, kind of dangling around the, the same same area. So uh, we we still test every morning um, here in Vegas now, and um, pretty much in a bubble. Um, obviously, uh, a bit more to kind of going on. We're, we're in obviously in Vegas as four teams here I think three or four teams and, and I think more teams coming in to play USA a bit later after us um, but really apart from kind of leaving our rooms for, for practice and games there's, there's not too much going on um, we've organised a, a couple of team events we had a, an Australian guy host us last night at his house and obviously they had to go through a 
a few day check of, of him being vaccinated and testing leading into it and all that. And it was completely outdoors the whole day. Um, but he invited our men, men's and women's team over there for, for the night to have a, have dinner. Cause we really just, we really haven't gotten out the hotel too much. There's a couple of places in the hotel we can grab a coffee and, and things like that. But, um, it's also on the flip side from a, a player's point of view or staff. Um, if you get COVID at this point, um, you're pretty much not going to the Olympics. It's, it's that close. So our, our guys have been pretty smart, um, just trying to trying to limit kind of seeing people and doing as much. Obviously, we're still playing the games, and um, a, a, only a few people have um, kind of tested positive since we've been here for a couple of weeks now. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating at times, and you want to go out and do something or sit by the pool or whatever it is. But um, in my mind, I don't want to I don't want to miss the Olympics. So you do everything you can. Obviously, um, as we were during the NBA season, it's still a chance. Obviously, with with playing against guys and and, and whatever, I'm, I'm around my team every single day. Um, so obviously, still a chance. But just trying to limit those chances as as much as possible. So for people who don't know the storyline, and you kind of referenced it when you were on with us last time, so I read up on it since then, Australia has finished fourth four times, the best country that's never medaled, 0-8 with the semifinals and then the third place game when you had a chance to lock up a medal. So when you tell us if you get COVID, you can't go to the games now, with this storyline and with you being so invested in the national team going to your fourth Olympics – I'm thinking you're way more locked in on this than most jazz fans realize. Yeah, I I really am. Um, and when I say we can't really leave those tail, like I literally haven't left my room. <laughs> um, I've walked downstairs to to grab some coffees and stuff like that. But um, again, like I said, I, I understand. Regardless, there, there's risk involved. That's just the way it is. Um, it's the way it was in the NBA season. Um, we made the decision during that time that, that our kids were going to be at school. Obviously, I, I knew the risks involved with those type of things. But um, like I said, just doing everything possible uh, away from, from those little risks to, to, to not um, kind of get myself in trouble. So um, wearing our masks still um, on the buses and stuff like that and to and from the games or, or whatever it is. Um but like you said at the, the start, I've put too much time and effort into this to to not have or give myself and my team and my country and my, my family and my, my kids a chance to, to for me to, to, to bring this medal home. Um, me, my, well, Patty and I, 12, 13 years ago when we first started, um, kind of started um, putting the time in, I guess, to, to build this to where we, we thought it could get to. Um, and like I said, we had one NBA player. It was a lot tougher for us. We, we were we were still a good team, but it was a scrappy fight to to win a game, to win every game. Um, and we finished, I think we finished seventh or eighth for a, a few years there. And we've built this thing to, to what it is now. And, and being, I think we're ranked third or something in the world. Um, but like you said, never being out of medal. Um, and we've put so much time and effort into this and been so invested. It's why we've played every off-season for 12 years now. Um, and we've got it kind of the flip side of our team when we first started. It's a bunch of NBA players now and, and a couple NBL players and a couple guys in Europe. So um, 
all of our guys understand that. All of our guys understand um, what we believe in our team and what we can do when we get to Tokyo. Um, and, and a part of that is, is, like I said, just just deleting as many of those risks as possible. Um, again, obviously, we understand that regardless, there, there's some things that go on. But, um, yeah, just trying to limit them so that we're, we're as healthy as possible going into to Tokyo here. We, we leave in four or five days now, I think. So we're we kind of at the, the final stretch to get there. So just being smart, we've got a few days to get there and, and then lock back in again when we, when we get over there and, and figure out the rules and what we're in for over there. So you speak of that there was only one NBA player in the beginning and now you've got several. Is that just an increase in the talent level of coming out of Australia? Um, well, yeah, definitely of the, the talent level. And then obviously a part of it too, I think, is just the the world recognizing Australian players. I think um, being so far away in our beautiful little country down there, it's, uh, it's, it wasn't um, even foreign players in the NBA, not just Australians, but back in the day, obviously it's, it's grown and grown and grown. Um, obviously for us with, with Bogut kind of recently being, or more recently being the number one pick and then Ben Simmons and Dante was a high pick and, what Paddy Mills had done being the 55th pick or whatever he was and, and winning a championship and, and Delhi winning a championship and Baines was with the Spurs and, and, and things like that. And then, um, yeah, you just you, you get these role players come in and, and, and uh, I think it just widened people's search for, for players instead of purely the NBA or, or that the, the, the few high, high-level Europeans or South Americans or whatever. So, um yeah, I mean it's a massive change for, for our team, we we or our country. We, uh, like I said, I think it was um, Bogut was the only one when I first started, and you flip it back and and look now, and you look at the squad of twenty five we had, and there's 10, 11, 12 NBA players in the squad. Not all of them um, are with us now, but there's such a, a big talent pool for us to choose from, um, which is is nice. It's nice to have to have plenty of options where in the past we, we haven't had as many options. It was 10, 11 of us that were playing in Australia in the NBL. Um, and obviously for, for us to compete with, with that team, we, like I said, we, we played, played extremely hard. Um, but at, at times there was just games that we, we, we couldn't win with, with the talent we had. Um, we could play as hard as we wanted, but we were always just, just missing out or, or just losing. So, um, yeah, it's been a, a hell of a 12 years, really, just trying to, like I said, for, for Patty and I to, to be involved back then and, and push it and, and, and try and build it. And for the players themselves to, to, to work so hard to, to put ourselves, for, for them to put themselves in a position to, to have a shot at the NBA. So are national teams open to players coming back and saying, hey, we're doing this, we're working on, a, on this skill development? Because watching you play – you got a lot of the shots for Australia against the U.S. that you get. You hit three threes right away, and some of those shots were the shots you get for the Jazz. And I saw that new, improved, quicker, higher release you've worked on. So do you take a lot of that stuff back, and do other guys, does Patty Mills take a lot of that stuff back from your individual organizations? Yeah, we, we do have as much time as we can. <laughs> Obviously, there's, there's team practice and stuff like that because we, we haven't been together, but um, we spend... 
before practice, after practice, um, kind of segments. Um, two or three of us, obviously, it's very different. We don't have 10, 12 coaches and, and one each. Um, we've got four or five coaches and the physiotherapist rebound and the doctor rebounds and our equipment <laughs> manager rebounds. And it's, um, you kind of make do with what we've got, which, which I actually really enjoy. It's, it's, I've said it before that there's nothing like the, the, the camaraderie and the no egos and, and everybody's in it for the right reasons. It's, it's, it's very, very, it's very different to anything you get um, with, with our national team. I don't know about other teams, so I'm not going to comment on that, but it, it's the reason that I come back and play every year because the enjoyment I get from being around these guys um, and our coaching staff and our doctors and our, everyone that's involved Um yeah, we get plenty of time to, to do things, and um, I know there's a few things I can work on. Um, again, it's not as um, in depth, probably, as what I would be doing if I was with with Bailey and back in Utah working out. Um, but but we get shots up, we get to do things, we 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 can play off little things. I can obviously easily tell one of the coaches to to do X, Y, and Z if it, if I want to do it for for the next season as well. So. Um, yeah, a, a lot of fluent, fluently uh, fluent um, movement between the, the kind of the jazz and the the boomers in what I can do um, leading up to the tournament. Obviously, once we get there, it's pretty locked into the team stuff. Um, but we've we've got a bunch again. Uh, we've got a bunch of professionals that, that want to get better individually as well. So um, we, we've got a hard working group, and um, yeah, we we do a lot of stuff pre and post practice. So since you have some downtime in your room, I don't know if you've been able to follow the NBA playoffs. If you have, are you pulling for no. Jay Crowder? Uh, I haven't watched any. Um, None, I love huh? Jay Crowder. Yeah, didn't you say he was your favorite teammate? Something like that? Am I wrong on that? Yeah, yeah, he's the, he's the best. Um, but I haven't watched, and I wish him all the best because I, I love him, but uh, I'm still not going to watch so you're just watching how to hit uh, fastballs when you get that in a cage against Donovan Mitchell? Yeah, I'm going to smack that. That's not a <laughs> that's not a question of uh, no. I've been watching some other TV shows and and uh, I mean again like the the like the camaraderie with this group and and we've got some new guys like Matisse Thibault. Never we at the dinner last night. I was sitting with him and I was kind of joking with him, but asking if he knew everyone in our team's name. Like, that's how fresh he is with our group. Like he, um, But we, we sit up in our team room and play cards and we um, have a meal room and obviously very different to them. We, we've pretty much eaten every meal together, um, which is, is, is so much fun. We've, we've sat with our girls' team a couple of times and had coffees. Like, it's, it's hard to even explain the, the difference between a, a professional team and, and what we do here. Um, but that's why, like I said, it's why we keep coming back to play because it's it is so much fun, and, and obviously we've got a burning desire in us in, inside our team to, to to get our first medal. Um, so that pushes it all along. But it's um, yeah, it's so much fun being with these guys. Well, if you're not watching games, that's one thing. But if you haven't seen the clip, you have to see Giannis Antetokounmpo's block late in Game Four because I didn't ever think I would see a block as crazy and as thrilling um, as Rudy Gobert's game. One of the guys on the bus, uh, one of the guys on the bus did on an alley oop or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He showed me, but good on him. Hell of a play. I wish him all the best. 
<laughs> so, but you don't. You're not interested because you're bugged. The Jazz aren't playing, or you just don't give a crap. Well, I don't care about. Obviously, I, like I said, I love Jay. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't care. I'd rather be playing in it. I wish I wasn't. As much as I love being here with my team, I wish I wasn't here. I wish I was still playing. Sure. And, um, getting on the plane, whatever the day after winning it to, yeah. to meet these guys. Um, but obviously, we're out. That's not. Um, we can't do anything about that right now. So I'm not gonna. Yeah, I just don't. I watch enough of our games and um, watching some film and our team and speaking to our kids and um, it's a big the big five five year old birthday coming up so it's uh, yeah there's there's enough going on um, that I don't need to worry about watching the NBA. So Bogey hits a game winning three, you just kind of casually raise your arms. Mills hits a game winning three against the U.S. You kind of casually raise your arms. What's it going to take for you to go crazy? Oh, I kind of just knew they were both going to make the shot. I mean, Boyan, as soon as he even caught that, I felt like it was going to go in. Um, there's been a couple of them. Yeah. The Houston one, I wasn't sure he was going to go in. The Milwaukee one, I knew for sure it was going in. Um, Paddy's done this before. Um, I remember in, what year was it, 2012, maybe in London. Mm-hmm. Um we had our last game against Russia and it didn't mean anything. Like we were both finished where we were regardless, but um, obviously we, we played to win anyway and inbounded it to me and I threw it to Paddy, ran a little play and I threw it to Paddy and he made the same shot, a very similar um, kind of hand, where it wasn't off a handoff, I threw it to him, but a same, similar screening action and um, it actually reminded me of that. As soon as he caught it, I was like, he's going to make this. <laughs> it's just what he does. <laughs> it's just what he does. So, um, yeah, he's a hell of a hell of a player. One of my my closest friends, and um, to be able to play and do all this with him is is a lot of fun. It's the it's the reason we keep coming back. All right, well, bring home the silver. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't go gold, Joe. Sorry. <laughs> as long as the U.S. Have, is uh, in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Duh. If yeah. they get knocked out early, sure, fine. But, yeah, yeah. But that won't happen. The U.S. is <laughs> going to win the gold. When we win the gold and we come back, I'll be uh, won't be any any type of basketball shape for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'll be uh, I'll be on the sidelines doing some some sprints to get back in shape for a couple of weeks there. But um, no, I'm excited. It's, it's I mean, it's the Olympic Games. It's something that for us in Australia, we grow up wanting to to be a part of and play. And um, to, to be able to go to my fourth is is something I never ever thought of. So to be able to go again and um, fight again for a medal and, and try and do do what no one in Australia has ever done with, with men's basketball. It's um, it's a it's a goal that we're we're trying to get. So we'll uh, we'll head off here in a few days and, and see how we go. Well, it's probably too late now because all the COVID protocols and everything. But had we known, PK and I would have would have come on the trip, rebounded for you, and given the doctor a break. Let him focus on medicine. <laughs> I I wish we'd figured exactly. that out earlier. It's so funny, man. Like you come from obviously a, a unbelievable. I'm not saying this isn't professional because it, it is, but um, the organization of, of Utah and there's anybody will rebound for you and do whatever they have to do to whatever it is. And I was, I was looking around. We were doing five on five the other day. I just walked through against some of the the coaches, but we don't have enough coaches. So I like doctor was in. The, like it's just 
it's so funny seeing them dressed in jerseys and trying to rebound <laughs> and they're trying to fill up our protein shakes after and then running over to rebound again and our equipment managers running off in a little car to go and do washing in some pay washing pay thing that it's we're a scrappy group it's what we do so it's 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 pretty funny but it's it's a lot of fun it's why it's why i love coming back and, and doing it well joe we appreciate the time we love uh we love hearing the stories from las vegas and if we have a chance to talk to you in tokyo we'd love to do that too depending on how things work out for you but uh we're ready if you are yeah no of course we'll uh we'll get it going and uh Play out one more game here. We find the 16th. What's that tomorrow against yeah, USA yeah, one more yeah, time, and, yes. and then kind of head off the next couple of days. So appreciate it, and we'll uh, we'll be in touch. All right, you got Argentina in your group, so you get to play 87 year old Luis Scola again. I'm looking forward to that matchup. You're uh, incredibly incorrect on that. We do not have Argentina in our group, but good try. <laughs> be smart. I did just screw that up. I look back up. Ah, yeah, well, we have Italy, Germany, and Nigeria. Yes, you do. So, well done. Way to screw it up, but good job. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joe. All right. All right thanks, we'll see you. There's Joe Ingles joining us from Las Vegas in his room. Positive COVID test. He doesn't get to go to his fourth Olympics. So, oh, yeah, my gosh. It's <laughs> probably even, you're probably even tighter on this one. Stay in the room. Because, you know, if you miss an NBA week or two, they, then you come back. Well, here it's, right. all, it's either all oh, yeah. or nothing. I mean, Chris Paul in Western Conference Finals, right? Mm-hmm. Missed a couple games, but he's back for the rest of the series. But this right. is this is all or nothing. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Stay with us. We'll get you up to speed on everything you missed in a minute. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Mark Medina, USA Today, NBA Insider. What type of contract do you think Mike Conley is going to demand? I think that he can command maybe at the 15, 20 million, but there's also concerns about his injuries here. Now, all that being said, I don't think they really have any other choice but to resign him. I know that the Jazz are over the luxury tax and all that, but let's just call a spade a spade. The reality is if he doesn't come back, like they don't all of a sudden have a vacancy that they can fill to the same equivalent because they're over the tax. They only have the mid-level. And so I think it's in their interest because they have Conley's bird rights to just re-sign him. It's almost a no-brainer that they should retain him and sign him for whatever they can. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. His greatest asset is his arm to the Angels. But I never thought he was going to hit 33 home runs in the first half of a season. So he doesn't have enough reps and doesn't have enough time to put into pitching. That's how talented he is. But his arm would be the best arm in the American League if all he did was pitch. I'm confident of that. I stand behind that statement. There is John Smoltz talking about Shohei Otani's value to the Angels. Doing it part time, and he's this awesome. Uh, is he doing it part time though? He's taking a start every time it's the turn to start. What more can he be doing? Focused on his hitting when he should be watching video, pitching, and working on his mechanics. There, I guess is Smoltz's point. I think that's overstated. Uh, how, how much you either got the arm or you don't. Well, well, with the fastball for sure. Uh, but you know, this is what they do a hundred percent. So they ought to be spending a lot of time doing it, and it's and it's absolutely amazing. There's no doubt about it. Uh, what he's doing, it's just 
it's completely incredible. Uh, and maybe he would have. Maybe he would be the best pitcher. The fact that he can do it is amazing. But once I accept that he can do it, when I look at his swing being as big as he is, the home runs don't really surprise me that much. So does the pitching surprise you? Well, it, it, overall, it's a totally a, – a, it's, it's incredible. But I'm saying when you take into account that he can do it, the fact that he can do it is absolutely amazing. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yes. But once you accept that he can do it – So you're not surprised – This is what he does. 33 home run guy instead of 15 home run guy? I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. is a massive talent. And he's got five more homers than that guy. At 15, if he had 15 homers in right. an ERA of four, it would be amazing. He's at 33 homers with an ERA in the mid threes. And maybe Smoltz's point is if he was pitching full time, he could get the ERA down to the twos. Okay, if, if Fernando Tatis Jr., FT2, as I call him, he's playing shortstop. Yep. Yeah, he is. So you can argue what's, if you're, if you're DHing, and you have no defensive responsibility. How much time are you working on your game? Fernando has to work on his defense. So the time that Shohei can work on pitching, well, that's uh, akin to Fernando working on defense. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So he's a two-way player also. In a sense, Fernando's two-way is... Sort not quite, but it's sort of the same thing as a two way that Shohei is. He doesn't have to worry about having a okay. We go to a new park. This is how you play the carom off the wall or whatever. He's not he, sometimes very rarely is he in the outfield. Uh, so my point is, there's tattoo, the defensive guys have to worry about defense. He has to be. He has to have scouting reports on every single batter to know where they need to be and all that stuff. So yeah. that's taking up time. Shohei just throws gas and hits home runs. <laughs> Not that it's simple or easy by any stretch, because it's amazing what he's doing. But I think we're undervaluing what somebody like Tatis has to do, uh, in, in a yeah. sense, being a two-way well, Smoltz player. Smoltz is just coming from the pitcher's perspective. And he's a pitcher, yeah. Right. And maybe he just looks at the guy's natural gifts and thinks, man, if I could work with you and just – you're just focused on pitching. We take another take another half a run off your ERA. And I think it could. Yeah, I totally agree with him. But he's too valuable on the other end to yeah. do that. So it, it's a phenomenal accomplishment. I mean, this is amazing, you know, just absolutely. I hope he finds a way to learn English uh, and uh, because I think it's an underdeveloped story. I mean, this guy's just absolutely – I don't need him to learn English. For me, I don't care if I hear a word. Interviews don't matter. I know Stephen A. Smith got himself in trouble on all that. Yeah. That's not where I'm going. Uh, but I think that if you're an American, they're probably going to embrace you more uh, in America anyway. Uh, but for me, I couldn't care less if he – the interpreter, these interviews, they don't matter to me. It's all about what you do out on the field. I don't care about any interviews. I don't care. Yeah, but they're, but they're trying people, to market individuals. There, there are people who do. And I get that. I right. get that. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it and could I think, be bigger. For me, I don't need it to have that happen. <laughs> that's hard to believe that it could be bigger. I, mean, <laughs> I agree with you. It could be bigger. But, I mean, the guy, <laughs> the guy just 
DH. He just he's starting and he's hitting and he's on the mound and that's plenty good for me. <laughs> I know his athletic accomplishments between but the baseball lines are all I, I need. It's awesome. I do wonder, and it isn't just a language thing, and it's also for people who are native English speakers. You know, how much are you willing to interact and put your story out there? Because I think there are casual fans for whom that's a big part it of is, their equation. Is. Right, I get and it. it's not... It's not for me. It's not for you, because you're going to watch every at-bat of every game, and then you're going to watch the MLB Network afterwards. Whatever so I can watch. To, when, when he's pitching or he yeah, they're, they're not going to see it. They're not going to get more out of you. Um, and then there's just an argument if the Angels were just a better team. I mean, phenomenal pitching issues. <laughs> yes. And, and people if, love if winners. Team, yeah, and, and, absolutely. And people love winners. So if the team was winning at a higher level... But baseball is the one sport where you don't necessarily need your team to win for you to be considered the ultimate greatness. That's true. But well, and he's he's just gone straight to ultimate greatness. I mean, he's you can't take your eyes off the guy. No, it's you know? an absolute. And, I, and story. I do think, as much as that became a story because of what Stephen A. said, and not even maybe so much what he said, but maybe more how he said it. Well, he's a an abrasive East Coast. I know, I know but I think that played against him in all of this. I understand. But I, but I think that the one thing I saw. Um, Jeff Passan, the ESPN guy, came. they had him on the show, and he was talking about, like, he speaks English with his teammates. He's getting there with the language. And there's a certain amount of, hey, I don't want to go out and, oh, yeah, and, yeah. and get that. do something and embarrass myself or say the wrong well, thing. Or, that's not that uncommon. Right. And so, but I, I think we're going to see the day where he does it because he's already conversing with his teammates, so he's already gone a long way. Yeah, it was just when I was a kid – after a while, it was cool to hear Fernando speak English. Yes. Yeah. You know, Another guy who came over. Pitcher. You didn't hear him at the start. It no. didn't matter. It was He was must-see. He yeah. was must-see TV. Right. Yeah. And then, he, and has there been a, I mean. He learned English. Has there the been someone who's, maybe I guess the home run guys in the 90s took the game like that. It oh, turned out to be steroids. Your, but just to uh, really capture the imagination, like, yeah. all right, I'm, it's appointment view, and I'm going to. If, if Shohei's pitching tonight, I got to know what's going on. I think Jacob Degrom does it when he's pitching. Uh, you know, if if you're into the sport, if you're not into the sport, then it probably doesn't matter. You know, it, it's sort of like uh, what was his face? Uh, remember, Jeremy Lin had like a three week yeah. run that was just awesome, and it right. all captured our attention. Everybody loves that type of stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, there was uh, John Smoltz, who knows a lot about pitching, weighing in on Shohei Otani. Uh, the second half of the Major League Baseball season starts tonight. Red Sox and Yankees, 5 o'clock. Now, you got the whole thing on uh, the All-Star break, and if you're in first place at the All-Star break, you're, you're usually good to go. Is it four out of the six or five out of the six division champs usually hold on at this point? There's a number on that. I think you know it better than I do. But it's, there, there isn't usually a lot of change after this point. But there's usually some. Dodgers catching the Giants. Rays catching the Red Sox. You got anybody on your radar who could come for come from five, seven, eight games off the pace? Well, you already mentioned the Dodgers, but they're taking a hit with losing Bauer, and I don't yeah. think he's going to be back for them. And then you have to see what's going on in the trade deadline when we get to there. Uh, so uh, as I look, Phillies are three and a half behind the Mets. Uh, Oakland's three and a half behind Houston. None of those. Uh, Oakland's not catching Houston, are they? Houston's really going to do it. They're loaded. Uh. It's conceivable. I, I'm totally with you on the trade deadline. You can you can change your roster. You can, but Oakland isn't. <laughs> they're they're not going to go out and do what the Padres did. Not that it's working with the Padres. Well, it's sort of working. I mean, they're in a wild card spot, but they're 
they're six games back in their division. They're not likely to go out and add a couple of aces. Aces? Aces. Yeah, I don't know. There's not that many aces to be added. And Oakland doesn't add payroll typically. So I don't think they change their team. Understood. Somebody else might. Uh, We also talked uh, Bucks and Suns. It's 2-2. The most entertaining game of the four to date. Antetokounmpo with a spectacular block. That'll go in all the montages. Years from now when you're watching the NBA Finals and they pull out these plays, that'll be one they pull out. It was that good. It was sweet, yeah. Jordan changing hands 30 years ago is still in those montages. Dr. J's sweeping hoop, hook, which was, I don't know what that was, 40 years ago, still in those montages. Which one, the dunk or the up and under? Either one of them. The up and under is the one I think about because that was the Lakers in the Finals. It's the one that comes to mind. Just because I think it was in an open I saw early in these wasn't playoffs. Wasn't the, 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 the windmill dunk against the Lakers, too? I can't place it. It may well have been. I don't remember that one. Seems to me he's just going, Those over, are his going two. over Cooper. It could be. Well, yeah. the other one is Mark Landsberger and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Kareem and Oscar bringing out the stars for the Bucks home game. That was cool. Yeah. Always good to link the past and the present and all that stuff. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback's coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at one. 30, presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon on your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. 975-1280 the zone and the zone sports network. PK, you're off your rocker, dude. Should we get rid of all the stop signs and red lights so that driving is more entertaining? Get real. The NBA's a joke. Can't even watch it anymore. DJ PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision loves teachers. If you are a teacher who needs LASIK, Davis Vision wants to give back. Schedule a free consultation appointment. Inquire about additional savings to their summer sale price. Call them today at 801-253-3030 or check them out at davisvisionmd.com. A lot of complaining about the NBA. That might be a topic for tomorrow, PK. I'm not watching it. It's all the people telling you you're not watching it. It makes you think they're watching it. It's not a Maybe joke. from a how's distance. It a, how's it a joke? I don't know. What's a joke about it? Well, I think the play that got ever under everybody's skin was Devin Booker committing a sixth foul and not getting called for it, and then later committing a seventh foul and not getting called for a sixth foul. He got away with two there in the last five minutes. Didn't matter. Bucks won the game. It's a footnote. But the refereeing bugs people. But go referee a basketball game. And NBA to. games move. I don't blame you. I have, and I don't want to either. You've refereed an NBA basketball game. No, I've refereed a basketball <laughs> game. I've not refereed, and it was high school kids. And it was hard, and it wasn't worth it. I didn't want to do it again. And my, one of my friends from college refereed intramural games, and I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. What do you want to do that for? 
Because he was getting money. He was. Not much, though. Not enough in my book. See, it was a few bucks. You had a sugar mama. <laughs> so. I had a sugar mama. <laughs> so you didn't need money. <laughs> I did, too. I worked in the dining commons. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> what are you working in the dining commons for? For money. <laughs> well, I was saying that's what he was saying. Yeah, that is what he was saying. <laughs> You're right. Your role playing was accurate. He didn't want to get up there and sling ash. And I'm like, hey, I'll do that all day long. None of this out there teeing, teeing up random 19-year-olds. And he enjoyed doing that. <laughs> he, He'd rather do he that. He actually, he's not, his from, own. he's not from Jersey, but he did have the Jersey. He would come back and tell me stories about who he rang up. He just loved giving tees. And <laughs> just tee people up. I remember our first intramural game. I'm 17 years old. I'm such a hothead. And I got teed up. And the funny thing, I was whining like crazy. And I went over to the ref. I said, hey. And he looked at me. Not you again. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and I said, okay, I just wanted to apologize. <laughs> I said, I've been whining way too much. But he'd had it. So as I approached him, during the game to apologize and tell him I would knock it <laughs> off. He thought I was going to whine again, justifiably. I can see where he's coming from. So he teed me up. That was the last. I, that's the other, okay, this just doesn't mean that much. So I had to dial it down. My first, first in the field house at NAU, I can remember it specifically, and I can remember him. He looked over his shoulder. He saw me approaching. Boom. Slapped him with a T. Slapped me with a T. And then I told him, I said, hey, fine. I won't do it anymore. $25 a game to ref high school basketball. I did it for a while. It sucked. Parents yelling you night every night thinking their kid never does anything wrong. Exclamation point. Oh, yeah, it does suck. That's from Johnny. <laughs> well, I had, um, when we were in b- baseball in high school, uh-huh. we would uh, referee the Little League games. And uh, so we'd go down to the local school, and we would do it at night to make some money. And when I was behind the plate once, and one time I just said, that's it. I'm done. Screw you. You, mm-hmm. you guys are just. And there was one play where a kid was stealing third, and I I called. I ran down the baseline. I called him out, and my partner, who ended up being my roommate in college, base umpire, he called him safe. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bang bang play. I know, but then I knew he'd have trouble, and I thought, oh, I got to sell this, and I immediately overruled him. No, I had it. He had the wrong angle. I turned back to the to parents. <laughs> It's all BS, just to keep them away, keep them quiet. <laughs> now nobody remembers it, but at the time, they're all screaming. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, was, I would never, ever umpire a baseball game. Are you kidding me, man? The parents, out of control. Uh, question of the day, how happy are you that this finals is now 2-2? And Steve says it's been a lot of fun to watch, especially last night. I just wish the Jazz had been healthy and that they were there instead of the Suns. I agree. So do I. How glad are you the series is tied at 2-2? And Greg D says, so glad that I'm going to tell more people my Bob Lanier elevator story. My shorter-than-average coworker commented on Bob's huge feet. Bob looked down and said, you're pretty lippy for such a short little bleeper. (laughs) (laughs) Good story, Greg. Nice. Bob Lanier, a center. Pretty good player in his time. Absolutely. Got his jersey retired, didn't he? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah? Okay. 
But I, I, I but he I, played 40, 50 years ago. So if we still know his name, right, right, he was good. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.8 of the zone. That's going to do it for us today. Hands at Scotty are coming up next. We will see you tomorrow right here on 97.5 at 12.8 of the zone.